Hello survivors and welcome to The Blood Test, a The Thing podcast by Resident Evil fans for Resident Evil fans. This is First Aid Spray bonus episode 17 and stop me if you've heard this one before, snowy outpost, creature attacking the staff, we take a look at the 1982 film that transformed the horror genre and its 2011 prequel in film club, The Thing. I'm your host Sai, and there is an imposter among us this week. He's always vigilant when it comes to combating alien threats. Well, maybe that's what he wants you to think. It's Firebutton Steve Valance. Hello, everybody. I say we take off and nuke the entire Antarctic from orbit. It's the Moist Owlet, aka James. Um, um, uh, um, uh. <laughs> and our special guest, the host of Itchy Painty. I hope he's as handy with a flamethrower as he is with an airbrush. It's Michael Burger Time Early. What's up, Vance? <laughs> the subject of this bonus episode like all others was voted on by our patreon backers support the show now to not only keep us afloat but also to create new content select what that content is and hear it a month before everyone else tiers begin at just one dollar a month check out patreon.com forward slash fa spray pod for the full breakdown and no i did not vent so this uh was a really tight poll for the this episode of film club with some real classics on it um, and I think we were all positively surprised by the thing coming out on top. There's definitely, it, I mean, I think we all would have been very happy no matter what one. And I know there was one particular franchise on that poll that we're very keen to cover. Uh, so it was a nice surprise to go in a different direction. Uh, so yes, in this episode, we'll be looking at the 1982 version of the thing. Um, and then the 2011 prequel. And in between our coverage of those two films, we will be treated to uh, a piece of music that you'll be very familiar with if you're a fan of The Thing. It's a cover of the main theme as performed by Scott Ampleford. Uh, you can find him over at YouTube if you like this version. Go and check it out on YouTube as well. The video is cool and he's got a bunch of stuff up there. So his YouTube is in the description of this podcast. Special thank you to Scott. Okay, well, without any further delay, let's jump right into the 1982 version of The Thing, which this June, June 25th, 1982 is the release date, so it means this June actually turns 40 years old. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Sorry, everyone, you're all old. Um, so it's... We, we call this the original thing, I guess, but it, it, it's not... It's not the beginning of this story it goes right back to 1938 really with a book by john w campbell jr called who goes there which was written under the pen name of don a stewart that was published in 1938 and in, i think it also appeared in various formats in different books and sort of like comics and stuff like that it was made into a film in 1951 uh, by the name of the thing from another world which was directed by christian nyby uh, which was not a faithful recreation of the book. And so about 30 years later, The Thing got its actual faithful recreation as directed by John Carpenter. Classic 1980s, uh, you know, one, one of 1980s most beloved directors, I think, and onwards. Um, the development for them actually became, uh, began in the 1970s, sort of mid-70s. Uh, Carpenter was actually considered for directing from the off, but the studio went in another direction because John Carpenter was kind of considered a bit of an indie director at that point. But then the project spun its wheels 
until the release and massive success of Alien in 1979, in which at which point Universal Studios were like, well, uh, what can we do to capitalise on this? Uh, they already had the rights to the thing and a half-finished project. So John Carpenter was brought back in at this point after finding success with something like Halloween, you know, that little number that came out in 1981. Um, the budget for the thing changed over the course of production. Universal originally put $200,000 of its $10 million budget to the side for creature effects, which was the, which was more than the studio had ever given to a monster film at this point. Uh, this later became $750,000 of its $15 million budget. Uh, upon release, the film made $19.6 million at the box office, so it did turn a profit, but it was sadly pretty much panned upon release by critics. However... Uh, it has obviously begun, gone down as a bit of a cult classic over the years, and it currently has an 83% score on Rotten Tomatoes. So before we dissect the film, uh, Berger, I'm going to start with you for the obvious first question is, what's your earliest memories of the thing? Like, do you remember seeing it for the first time? Oh, um, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know that I remember seeing it for the first time, but that's only because I, I watched this movie a lot. Mm. um mm -hmm. as a kid like it was it was one of you know we just cycle through the five vhs tapes you have access to right um so i i've always remembered very very much enjoying it but for the obvious scenes of like the special effects and um recently like when i watched it for this podcast like critically did i um realize just like how good of a movie it is outside of that you know mm -hmm. totally I um yeah, yeah. I, I approached you for this panel because I was like I had this tinkle in my brain that was just like I know Berger has feelings about the thing and I can't remember what they were. Oh yeah, um, it's my favorite movie. Well, there you go. You know, cards cards on the table already. But it was cool to be like we're all gonna watch the thing, and then it, you were like, man, I can't wait to talk about this like immediately oh, afterwards. Man. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to get into it certainly. Um, James, what's your? Do you have any early memories of seeing the thing before before this week? Oh yeah. So when it comes to when it comes to eighties horror, um, yeah, I, I I was I watched like almost everything when mm. I was a kid. Like I shouldn't have watched it, but I did because my 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 parent and my guardian they they uh, they didn't really care about certification apparently. Right. Um, and yeah, they just you know there were there were some movies because they, they were they would say to me, James, if this is too much for you, you know, you let us know. You know, and, you know, there was only one film that did that. Um, and I won't say that on the podcast right now, but at a later date. But um, the thing, I was like, I was amazed by it. I was mm. like, wow, this looks real. Look at the, oh, my God, yeah. it's terrifying. You know, mm. um, as a kid. And, you know, when I, as I grew up, I, I would watch every few years. And then I think the last time I watched it was before this week. Uh, well, the last couple of weeks it was like six years ago. So it was nice. To mm. go back into both of the movies again because I had kind of a fresh, uh, a fresh mind because James hasn't got a good memory, right? Uh, yeah, so I yeah, so my my experience with it, first experiences with it were were great because I was with people I trusted to watch the movie and uh, you know and it was also my kind of brand when yeah. I was a kid, growing yeah. into what I am now. Yeah, Steve, I imagine quite similar for you. You probably uh, you know have got a long history with this. I can imagine. Am I correct? It's a weird one. Uh, the way I got into John Carpenter films in general was through a friend, a 
a college friend at the time basically pointing out, you know that Metal Gear Solid in, was inspired by Escape from New York. Right. Yeah. Mm. That was uh, one of my other VHS tapes. Yeah, and then having watched Escape from New York, uh, I was just basically something like, Steve, yeah, you have seen the thing, haven't you? And like, no, that's also by this guy, John Carpenter. Oh, really? Let's check it out. And then having my mind blown in like the early 2000s college days. It was, yeah. So mm. I, I did kind of come to it later, and it was a trickle-down thing, but I did have a fun time. Nice. Well, don't worry. I'm certainly coming to this, the latest. Uh, yeah, this is the first time I've seen the thing. <laughs> not, oh, nice. not overly surprising, I think, in the sense that that just seems to be... I, there are so many classic movies. Name any of them. I probably haven't actually seen them, which is pretty terrible, really. Uh, but the podcast is great for that. So I'm very glad that I finally have seen this after being aware of it for so long and the uh, sort of underground praise that it's always got. It's never been a mainstream appeal uh, film, but being into sort of Resident Evil and related media, of course it comes up as an inspiration for that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it probably would have been the kind of thing that I would have had mixed feelings on for some somewhat for the right reasons if i'd have seen it when right. i when i was too young right i think it that i would have been kind of bored by the humanity aspect and terrified by the the practical effects um so what can to watch it as an adult with a critical mind yes uh, it's been a good time indeed okay so if you're like me and haven't seen the theme the thing until recently or at all and i would recommend that you probably watch these films before we talk about them that's probably the best way to do it but nonetheless i'll give you the sort of brief overview of how the thing begins uh with the antarctic uh outpost uh, is our prime location american i believe uh, uh research station uh, outpost and then, 31 uh, yeah outpost 31 exactly that and then uh, one day they come across a couple of, well, a couple of Norwegians come across them chasing a uh, husky. Uh, and there seems to be a big kerfuffle about what's going on. Uh, there's an ensuing incident. And uh, to investigate what's happened with the Norwegian outpost that is not all too far away. Uh, our main character, McCready, played by Kurt Russell, and one of the guys in the station go over there and discover that the the outpost has been completely burned out and they find um, various strange things such as a clearly inhuman burnt up corpse of some kind, uh, dead human bodies, um, and then a little bit later into the film, an unearthed alien spacecraft. And that's kind of how things start at the very least. Before we dig into the story and the plot of the film, um, I think probably most important to talk about the themes, the atmosphere that it persists throughout. It's a horror film, of course, and uh, as we sort of touched on with John Carpenter being uh, a bit of a legend in his own right, talk about sort of the direction and the cinematography. So um, obviously the main theme of the film uh, is paranoia, the, the sort of concept of the thing as a creature and how it can replicate itself into just it it kind of infects and kind of replicates uh, and basically people can walk around and you don't know if they're human or not uh, so the whole film is a play on the sort of suspicion and paranoia and among us um, <laughs> um steve why don't you start us off uh, how do you feel about sort of the themes and stuff of the thing the 1982 version it's uh, honestly fantastic there's like Maybe it's just the the way it's shot and the performances, but there is a almost a feeling of mutual respect and hatred, like a believable workplace dynamic that's been disrupted. 
Mm, yep. Really comes across. Like, these people come across as having known each other, worked here for God knows how long, and it's all gone, basically, I don't trust you anymore. Nobody trusts anybody anymore. Uh, there are some slightly wonky performances, I would say, overall, but it, it's a strangely believable group dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, Bergen, you agree? Uh, absolutely. Um, I gotta tell you, I... I loved everything about the ensemble cast of the thing. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of, you know, it's a horror movie, so you got your archetype roles and, and, and they're all present, but I also believe them all kind of as people. There's a level of interaction that displays some comfort, but also some distance. So, like, you obviously have the two people that room together and they're sharing, they're sharing their joints at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, McCready lives outside like so there's like a level like social barriers are up anyway and you get that sense but like they all work together so they all have a and that comes across really well in that movie because people like click up when stuff gets like paranoid mm. yeah um, and you start seeing that whole like social structure erode um absolutely uh yeah in terms of the 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 overall themes i, I think this is probably one of the best examples of like how paranoia can destroy a group um, mm. and how an insidious intelligence could manipulate those links. Yes, that's very well, very well put, I would say. Um, James, how do you feel about the, the paranoia and the suspicion within the thing? Yeah, I think it's, it's really well done. Like the idea of something being able to imitate everything, basically, that's mm. organic. Um perfectly is terrifying well as an invasive species like right? as well like that's absolutely terrifying like that anyone it could be anyone um and as steve said like there are some performances and i think this is just due to it being the 80s and it being like the early like this is this is early like kind of body horror mm, right so absolutely. i so i'll give it like a pass on that um that there's there's some performances that are a little a little bit unbelievable but <laughs> Some of the like the best performances in it were like just the random like off like off the cuff conversations. Like, like every time the radio guy came up, I love that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he was he just was... like, I don't know, Jack. You know, he's just like, you know, he, he just he's just like, so fed up and so done. Like, like, Windows has one job. From nowhere, you know. <laughs> but... Windows has one job and can't do it the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> I feel sorry for it because he's trying to do his job. Right, and everyone's just, just like getting on it. He's like, I'm doing my best of uh, working with this crap 80s, you know, technology. Yeah. But for some reason, it doesn't work. You just smack it a few times with a hammer and maybe it will. <laughs> um, but yeah, to get back onto the kind of the paranoia side of it, I love that kind of horror. I love it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. everyone knows what my favorite uh, franchise is and it works very similarly. Mm. Um, but rather than being having a paranoia with uh, everyone, all your crew members, like they work it a little bit different in the alien franchise but in the thing it's literally like there is no hope yeah like yeah they're like they you and you feel that and they do so well in this movie kind of stepping and pacing that um that no hope that hopelessness yes throughout throughout the movie yeah um which i loved uh, sorry i went into plot a little bit but no yeah. no that's that's fine like um one of the words that i had written down is Futility, really, as after a certain point, especially. 
Um, it really does. Hopelessness is a big part of it, um, and not to get to jump right to the end, but obviously the way that it ends is very much that feeling of futility, where it's kind of like there is kind of like no end to this kind of suspicion, yeah. and that's yeah. what makes it so good. Is because and it benefits the film as well because they don't have to go crazy with effects and stuff all the time. But because it can perfectly replicate a human being, there's no effects. There's just people walking around, but you don't know who's you know who's who and who's who they say they are. And uh, mm. especially from the character perspective, and they touch on this a little bit, and they never really tell you one way or the other, which I like. But it feels like some of the characters don't know if they're a thing or not. Because you don't know if once it's cloned you, if you're even aware that you've been taken over, right? And I think, I feel like that's touched on, maybe not, maybe I just kind of interpreted that from it. But it's, it, uh, there's that kind of feeling, especially during the blood test scene, where everyone's worried that uh, it's going to blow up in their face and they think that... they're human, but maybe they're not, you know? So that's a, another layer of it as well. That's a that's a really good point you make there actually because I didn't even think about that at all. I just thought that the thing, like itself as an entity, if it took over someone, it knew right. what it was. Yeah, I, I, I think I, it probably does. It was... But for the people that haven't had that experience of being taken over, they don't know how it feels or anything like that. I'm sure yeah. there's a line in there that somebody says, you know, one of us might even be one of those things and not even realize. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, there was a there was a line in it as well, another like line of hopelessness that I thought was a little bit optimistic, and it was it was like Blair was on his PC and he or his Macintosh, whatever it was back then, mm. and he was um, and he was like estimating how long it would take for world complete world saturation, right. <laughs> and it was twenty seven thousand days, which is three years, and I thought that was very optimistic. <laughs> That's very. Yeah. Okay, good point, mate. In in this current climate we're in, people have really hugged the thing. You know, they're like, oh, no, it's <laughs> yeah, fair point. It's a uh... it's all fake news. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird. That's a that's kind of a. I found that scene to be a little bit weird. Like, if there's one scene in the film that is very much there just for like racing the plot up a little bit. And spelling it yeah. out for you. I'm looking at it like that technologically makes absolutely no sense to me that a computer <laughs> can do that for sure, you know. Um, for me, you know, I think the themes, I agree with you guys, generally speaking, really rather strong. Um, I feel like coming in really fresh with this, uh, it could have gone even further. I would have liked to have seen even more abject paranoia. We see a little bit of it here and there, and I wouldn't want to go too silly with it, but a lot... I'd like to see more visible hesitation that people have for each other, like it's specific yeah. examples. It's in there, but I could have got I could have gotten more from it without it getting too much. Um, but the film does a pretty superb job, pretty much setting that tension in from the get go with the music, the isolated feel, with the setting and the way that it's shot. There is a there's a strange kind of otherness to this film. Mm just throughout burger how do you feel about the general atmosphere of the thing um the is something i was actually speaking with uh, my spouse earlier um i love the atmosphere this movie sets mm. um it part of part of that is is what i i wrote down timeless for mm. this movie because uh, as you're watching it you feel like you're witnessing these people living their lives um yeah in in the 80s like 
they're, they're all interfacing with the technology in a very natural way. Like, it's very clear that this was modern tech. Like, and they're all capable. Like, they're all there for a purpose. Like, um, mm. and, and how that's framed. And and with the... He uses a lot of really stark shadows a lot of the time. Um, mm. The um, The creative use of lighting is, I think, part of what makes this look so timeless, too. Because, like you said, this is early body horror. And... Um, the effects looked great, barring some like there's there's some like stop motion towards the end that's a little. Oh, um, we'll get there. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but overall, like in terms of mood, theme, mm. atmosphere, uh, I think this is a perfect film mm. for what it like. It delivers perfectly on its premise to me. Yeah, that, um, that's fair. I think it it sets itself up really well at the start, and yeah, I agree. Mm. Knocks it knocks it out of the park. It never really lets up. Um, it, it tells you what the the atmosphere of this film is going to be, and it does. It never dips. You know, you know what blew me away about this movie? This when, when James and I were done watching this the other day. The movie is only like an hour and forty three minutes long. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's so dense, and there's mm. there's no wasted like there's not a lot of wasted time, um, not a lot of wasted characterization. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what you need to know to like process what's happening on the screen, mm -hmm. and they do a lot of really fun things that I'm certain we can also get into um, in terms of they talk about cool use of the lighting, right? Um, but uh, if anybody else wants to comment on that, yeah, no, I I agree. Like, <clears throat> I was surprised with the runtimes of both of these films. I'll tell you that much now, um, and in particular the 1982 version. Well, I could definitely I could take more of it. I could have had more of everything really. But the pacing on it's is pretty pretty great. Like despite yeah. the fact that it is only that kind of length, um, they know when to slow it down. So like talking from the perspective of being a Resident Evil podcast, uh, that part near the beginning where they go and investigate the Norwegian camp stood out to me so well as kind of an inspiration that resident evil takes from you know the way everything was shot the characters coming around corners mm -hmm. the way they are feels like fixed oh, camera absolutely. the tightness of the whole situation the the exploration they're doing and the environmental storytelling that's being delivered to those characters and to us like that whole section and the music for that section especially uh just just brilliant atmosphere um steve how do you feel about the atmosphere of the thing uh, you know, it's strange. I know everyone always talks about the special effects and how their, you know, practical effects are really phenomenal for the time. But I feel like something about it that really, the atmosphere and the way it draws me in is it always feels more like a whodunit film, hmm. in a way. Hmm. Uh, and trying to piece together who's who and the mystery and stuff. I really, really dig in with that. Uh, like you were saying, like the um, the the way the narrative flows and stuff, I do think is very episodic. In that regard, like you've already said, like when they go out to the, the Norwegian base and it's all smegged and then they come back and the dogs go haywire and then you have an, a brief reprieve while they try and get things back together. Well, it, you, you could you could have it as literally an, like um, in a video game in that regard. Mm. You know, so, chat, chapters. Uh, I want to I touch on that as well because um, one of the other comments that the, I had about it when it, uh, you know, seeing it critically, for the, the use of like fade to blacks to like mm. denote the passage and furtherance of time, yeah. Like because it would it would he'd, he'd fade out on a banger of like a line, and then yeah, he'd fade I... back in in another scene, and like everybody has already processed the response to that, and they they're they're forward, and mm. it's, it's it, it boggles my mind because like 
Carpenter got chewed out for this film, like critically panned, and that was one of the one of the key criticisms aside from like the gore and the violence and stuff was these fades of blacks. And I'm thinking, not two years, three years previously, you had Star Wars of George Lucas, like you Star know, Wipes. Star Wipes. <laughs> right. Sort of You're telling me a few fades to black are gonna kill <laughs> Audrey, but, sorry. You know Bug off guy. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It, it's it's almost ki- like kind of like a stage performance almost. Mm, like a play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting point I hadn't thought about. Definitely. So uh, I I know I'm human, which means that some of you are too. Um, and then because if you're like, they, I don't know that there's a follow up to that, but like that that line specifically, I know that I'm human, which means some of you are Hang on. too. Let, let's get the quote. Let's yeah, let's let's, get the actual let's, quote. let's do this quote. Hang on. Um, um, but but uh. The implication that's hung there is, is mm-hmm. wild. Yes. Um, like that whole scene, uh, it's uh, like a bunch of guys gathered around the fire and like nobody's speaking except this one dude who's now de facto in charge. Everyone is just kind of stood there silent, like internally wrestling with what this is actually means for them. Like, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's it feels really heavy. Um, I know I'm human. And if you were all these things, you just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. Mm, yeah. The thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's won. Nice. John Carpenter wrote that. Yep. Uh, James, how do you feel about the uh, the atmosphere? I feel like we've dug real deep into it, but uh, how do you feel about the atmosphere of the thing? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, in my in my notes, it's uh, you know one of my biggest kind of pluses to this movie is how well it does with that. Like I said, I mentioned a little bit earlier on about how it switches scenes, and to be honest, you you mentioned like transitions. I didn't even men- I didn't even notice that at all, but I can definitely see like I I noticed no problems with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and it definitely sets scenes right. Like I was, cl- I would, I clearly could tell the difference between each scene, like which is kind of a, which is kind of lauding this over like a lot of recent stuff, because a lot of the recent, a lot of recent stuff you see on TV, I find it very hard to keep up with a lot of stuff mm. because there isn't a clear cut transition uh, between scenes. Um, but I really loved how they, you know, there would be a scene. Uh, where it'd just be them, you know, laughing and joking, and then the next scene, there'd be something horrific happening, then it switched to the next scene, and they're still laughing and joking, right? And it was like, those two things, it's like breakneck, it's like, you know, I'm switching my head, and my brain's going from horror to 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 joy, to horror again, <laughs> right? And it was, it was super, it was great, right? Because it was like, <laughs> I, I just felt like I was testing my own brain, Mm-hmm. um in that effect and it was it was uh like the transitions help with that um yeah and like in those scenes as well like whether it be for joy or whether it be for the body horror aspect uh and the suspense of the movie they did so well with keeping that um keeping that feeling um especially w- with me anyway yeah it's 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 great like it's it's one of the it's one of the best things about this movie is the suspense they keep uh the atmosphere they have like they know how to use their music and their audio. Yeah. And that goes the same for the sequel as well when we talk about that later. Um, they really know how to keep us peeled 
and who who's going to do it next? And as Steve said earlier on, it's got very it's got it does have a Cluedo esque mm. like kind of feel to it. But in like if if you know Cluedo was about an alien monster that came from an unknown place, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. I know we've got a well, lot to talk about, uh, so I don't want to stay on light atmosphere and theme and stuff forever. But uh, it, it, in terms of direction and stuff, I do at least have one more note, and we'll pass it around one last time. It's just one thing that I really, really loved about this film, which also contributed to the feeling that it gave me of sort of being very isolated and the smallness of the location, is the fact that by the end of the film, I basically could have, could, could have drawn you a map of the outpost like i so yeah. well understood the geometry of the location and it's it do, it's not like the camera's whizzing around every corner to show you this is where the men's room is this is where the rec room is you know it's it's all just done in really interesting ways and it kind of connects yeah, everything a... together it, was, it and adds to the claustrophobia when it really shows you how small the location is um which i yeah again yeah. maybe also kind of makes it sort of what you guys were saying about feeling a bit like a play as well where it's just like this is the location that this film takes place in it adds to the theme but yeah i, ju I just really appreciated that in in the way that it was shot uh, burger yeah uh, take it away with cinematography uh, and standout moments for that so uh talking about that um there's a lot of shots of people walking running down that hallway and like mm. rebounding off that wall like you know you see you run down they push off the wall and kind of go down talking about like framing a shot so the place feels claustrophobic mm. um the uh um so they, they do that a lot to kind of denote the direction like the flow of people from different angles so they don't have many spaces but it, it definitely feels like uh like they spend a lot of time in the rec room that's where most of the like most of the the exposition room right. of the movie happens um and uh so talking about the the rec room and how much time you spend there they in the uh specific standout scene is when obviously they're doing the blood test for everybody mm. um and there's a a, a a hint to to clever-eyed viewers of the thing in that scene as to who is and is not infected um the director of photography has an eye light like a little sparkling eye light oh uh, yes and in everybody's eye mm. in, unless they're infected and it's it's not really mentioned or, or or referenced anyway but going back to to like reflect on it uh, having heard that that was the meme and actually like looking for it yeah no it's it's definitely present that's cool and and there's this level of like setting an expectation mm. and then having that like like a subtle one and having that carry on and then pay off at the end right um there's a, an, I actually didn't know about this until uh, I watched a, another video about this movie, but the scene when he, the, the hand that he's holding the Petri dish on is fake every time you see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it's a, it's a fake hand each time he does it and he, he like wipes it over and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's a fake hand. So that way when he does it and then the, the prosthetic explodes out of the fake hand, it's less jarring to your brain. Mm. Like, if it had been his his real hand each time, you would have when you when see the change. That's clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of conditioned you. Yeah, mm. that's yeah. really and, cool. And, and that's that's dope. <laughs> yeah, it's just really yeah. That's really clever filmmaking. Really clever. Yeah, awesome. Um, um, you mean to tell me I'm going to watch this film again and see that Kurt Russell has a mannequin hand? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I was not expected to learn new things today, but here we are. <laughs> 
Uh, James, any standout sort of shots and cinematography and directorial things that you loved? Yeah, man. The the, the beginning of this movie, mm. like, it's so good. Like, and again, like, it's one thing they repeat in the sequel, but settling on, like, the 1982 film, the desolation that you feel even before the films began, mm. like, is really heavy. Like, and you're, you're left... You're, you're as clueless as the crew is. You're as clueless, like, uh, as anyone is in this movie about what is going on. Right. Right. And they the way they do that is with, like, the cinematography and everything. Because you just get this vast... They're in the middle of nowhere. It's cold. There's no food. There's no animals other than this dog that this helicopter is chasing. Like, and, and each other. Like, and, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so well shot. Um... Yeah, I think like that's like my favorite part of this movie, like in terms of the the like the cinematography is the beginning of it, right? But that's not like kind of you know <laughs> trying to put down the rest of the movie because it's really done well too. But I'm really kind of I really get pulled towards, um, I really get pulled towards kind of the the environments right, that yeah. are around and when when they're kind of rushing around, my brain can't keep up. So it's like, but I you know while I'm, while I'm watching it, it was ent- it was entertaining. I knew what was good you know what was going on and when um yeah and the other thing that i want to point out again this is part of the environments and there wasn't much happening and again the desolation was shown was after the helicopter got there they wondered what the heck was going on uh we get the first problem that happened in the base and then uh kurt big cat kurt went over to uh and his friend went over to the norwegian camp and the amount of detail that was in that camp was insane Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm like yeah. as well again yeah. you got that feeling of desolation and hopelessness and like everything was gone it was completely wiped and you know that by the next winter this place wasn't going to be here right yeah um as well um oh, maybe not even next winter yeah so that feeling of desolation they 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 like perfected it it was perfect at the beginning of this movie and it was a perfect topper like to the rest of the movie mm. steve any uh standout directorial moments for you i mean the blood test scene is obviously a good one uh the I, 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 some people are a bit debated on this but i really like blair's freak out mainly for yeah Brimley's <laughs> like in somewhat cheesy dialogue it's very <laughs> it entertains me uh you know <laughs> you. You, you, you know you wanted to be us like he uh, didn't want to be a dog <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just it's it seared into my head and yeah, that and uh, Kurt Russell's final words to the big bad, uh, you know, it's just a simple, well, f*** you too. And like, yeah. And, uh, that, that's the Resi rocket launcher moment there. Yeah, it really uh, is. It really you know, is. Yeah, it's the, the, the little bits of that all put together. They're just like fantastic. Mm. But again, you take the body horror and all the monster stuff out of it, it still leaves it with a very interesting, like just a who's, who's who, who's trying yeah. to figure out what. And like Palmer, yeah. uh, you know, Who's obviously the thing early-ish on? Not maybe before or after Norris. I think that's debated. But the fact that he even tries to basically get in good by dobbing in the, the scurrying away head of the Norris thing mm. is uh, yeah, 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 pretty good, pretty good. I, I love those kind of little bits. Mm. Yeah. Uh, can I can I point out another thing actually, just quickly? The title of this film was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. The title. Oh, of this film was so, through the like, 
yeah. So, yeah, 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 that's fair. Like, but can you remember like, all films of that time? They were like, we're going to put 110% into the titles. <laughs> like every single film, they did so well with the titles. And the thing, the thing does well. It's mm. it's its own thing, uh, as well as like the the intro of the of the UFO uh, coming in and mm. like. What? Yeah. And then it just switches to the Antarctic. Yeah. Like, what? What? <laughs> I really was not expecting it to start with that. Really threw me through a loop, but it, I think it does work in the like the grand context of everything. Certainly. Um, Is it like a homage to the B movie roots of the um, the quote unquote original? Yeah, song? it might well be. You know, it does feel like the one of those like classic nineteen fifties alien movies, doesn't it? Sort of like the two yeah. in the model flying to also go through the air. Mm. Um, cool. Well, in that case, we've actually moved appropriately on to story beats and plot points and stuff that we liked out of the story of the film. Um, I've already talked a bit about the pacing. You know, as I thought was just a wonderful hey. thing. It's it's that slow burn. It isn't just a series of connected set pieces. Uh, we've really sort of touched on the fact that no scenes particularly go on all that long, which is... I'm going to sound so old, but I feel like that can be a real drag with modern cinema. Another issue that scenes just go on and on because it's like juxtaposition dumps. We don't really have particularly long scenes. and We don't really, outside of the computer scene a little bit, have much in the way of juxtaposition dumps. Characters talk amongst themselves. They get a moment to speculate about what's going on and kind of come to their own conclusions. Um, at no point are we actually like I was watching this and this isn't actually I don't know if this is the case with the prequel but I was sitting there thinking I bet in the prequel they spell, spell out so much for you because I was expecting it to be uh, the modern version of this movie I was like in, if they made this today they would tell you explicitly what Everything. happened at the Norwegian camp the fact that the dog's infected no they don't tell you that you just you just watch it and figure it out that the you know the thing well, killed everyone at the camp uh, it um, took the form of a dog. They chased it here, and that's how it begins. They don't actually tell you that. You just kind of see it happen. So, so actually, okay, adjust glasses. <laughs> they do tell you that if you speak Norwegian. Yes, that is true. If you speak Norwegian, the, 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 you know immediately. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Rip Lars, by the way. Rip Lars. Rip Lars. Lars is best boy. Best boy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a shit shot though, as James. <laughs> 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 Yeah, when you uh, you rewatch that scene after watching the prequel, it is kind of a shame to see him go out like a, like a loser. Oh man! <laughs> the helicopter pilot as well just gets jobbed off by a grenade that he drops. Like <laughs> pretty rubbish. <laughs> what the a, helicopter what a... pilot's last thoughts were? God, Lars, you're so. What <laughs> <laughs> one of my notes is it must have really effing sucked going through all that at the Norwegian base to get shot in the eye to stop a spread. Yeah, like, pretty much. Like I like I felt so bad for him. Like. I remember watching it when I was watching it with Burger. I haven't watched it in years. When I watched it with Burger, I was like, what the heck is happening? Why is this guy doing it? Why is he running off? Why is he yelling? And yeah. then you watch the prequel and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah, get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, one other thing that I also wanted to get into before I sort of pass it along is that um, whilst I'm saying that it's great that we didn't get over explanation, uh, maybe this is just me, but I never quite understood what the thing was actually doing like i guess it's, is it like meant to be like a hive mind thing I... because they, they they go on about it assimilating all these different shapes and then they'll kill whatever you know the thing it's taken a shape they'll kill it they'll burn it whatever you'll think that'll be that but it's still out there so is the idea that any scrap any singular scrap of dna that it leaves behind can just get back up 
turn into something else, assimilate something else and carry on, or even just change into one of its previously owned forms. Because they kill a bunch of the things, but the things are still there. Which I like in the terms of futility, but I didn't quite understand what was going on. <laughs> I think it's like somewhere between expanding biomass, but there's a limit. Like I don't, if you had a single fleck of blood, mm. you would have to literally be on a person for a long ass time before they become a true thing. Right. Right. Um, I'm also pretty sure it's some kind of form of like not a hive mind, but a collective intelligence. Like yeah. Together, yeah. the smarter and the smaller the part, the the individual, the dumber. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, like, it, it, I, I, I interpreted it as a singular intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, that was either, yeah. I don't know that different parts of it are aware of other parts of it, but it is aware of what it is, and is, is, is actively. Here's my hot take. Is all it's trying to do is go home. Hey, that was my. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I said. I speculated that. God damn it! <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe. Um, well, because because you take you, you take both movies in context to one another, and all it's ever trying to do is run away and hide, mm. and it's being hunted down by these weird f-ing things that it has no idea how to comprehend, and all those things want to do. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Yes. I mean, we haven't got to 2011 yet, but there's plenty of moments in that film where it's malicious mm. and uh, mm-hmm. a lot more uh, less benign than uh, it's. I mean, I mean, you'd be malicious too if you got shot in the face ten times. Exactly. And to be exactly. fair, even the eighty-two film, it's in the kennel of five minutes, and it's like, yeah, let's have a busky snack. But thing, <laughs> so the way, so my speculation was that like this thing has come from, I can call keeping the thing because that's his name. Um, this thing, uh, like it's a it's a spacefaring entity, like it's gonna, it's gonna come to Earth, and it's not going to care about us it knows we're not spacefaring like we're we're like ants to this thing Mm. like but right now it is weak and it is trying to get home right and like and it's just it's just dumb luck right that it crashed in the antarctic and then these like these norwegians and these americans found it right and it was still weak like i i kept on thinking last night like how how strong would this thing have been at, you know, power level 9,000, you know, how, like, it wasn't at peak, and it never was. Mm. So I'm very interested to see what it would be like if it was. I mean, it never espouses, like, its true motives other than eat and build a spaceship. Yeah, well... Because, because that's that's all it's trying to do. It's trying to survive, right? Yeah, it's trying to get away. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes it scary, right? In its own kind yeah. of way. It's just, even if it is just trying to live... Uh, it does pose a threat in that way, yeah. and it does cause 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 all this chaos. So, because you got to you got to think like how we would like if we were in that situation, like and like we like we were just you know starving, you know, and we were we were hungry, we were thirsty, we would strike out, we would mm. go anywhere. Yeah. And to be honest, we do that anyway. <laughs> but hello, like, everybody, I... and welcome to the Thing Apologist podcast. <laughs> <laughs> did nothing wrong <laughs> the thing did nothing wrong you're right no but like it's just an interesting speculation because like i think yeah. i think a lot of folks would like they would take this this film at uh like face value and go you know we like to look look at this as just like a you know a body horror movie which is fine it's but it's also interesting to speculate what what the thing is going through uh, mm-hmm. as well yep. and yeah yeah and uh so uh 
to that end, like part of what made me like have that thought process was like, you can kind of see it learning from what it learned in, in 2011. <laughs> it implemented that in, we're so like, so far off topic now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. We'll, Sorry. Come back. we'll come back. Sorry, Don't we'll worry. Come yeah. Back to it. Yeah. Put, trust me. There is a pin in this. There are things to get back to when we talk about the other film. Let's, let's focus on the plot of the 1982 thing. I know we talked about awesome and a, amazing. a lot of various <laughs> moments, uh, already but let's sort of dive into some of the story points that we loved and did maybe maybe didn't like as much or maybe that's just me that has a couple of bits it's like eh. but no, um the only one. Oh, all right uh james what what stood out to you for good uh, and for bad in the 1982 version uh men there were <laughs> there were a lot all, of men in yeah. this movie yeah all men. um yeah. and you know even in the 80s there were women working in the Arctic, in the Antarctic. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have liked to have seen more women. Um, I think the only lady voice in the entire film is the chess master. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they win at chess and then get whiskey down the mm. CPU for it. I'll go um, I'll, I'll go into like the positives first. Like, So there are a lot of like really cool like kind of story plot points uh, that I've put down. I love that this was present day timing. This was set in 1982. And it was released in 1982. That connects with the with the audience like really really well. Um, and this I said it happening today, like at exactly. The time. Yeah. Um, also, that the cast was in as much confusion as we were. I mentioned this mm -hmm. earlier, but I love that. Um, but then there there are some things that really bothered me. Um, like back then, I know we can put this on it being the 80s, but back then people still wore hazmat suits. They still wore masks you know especially in the kind of environment like that i really kind of really bothered me they didn't have any protection whatsoever and i know it was kind of you know we're manly men and we're you know, you know but still <laughs> yeah. kind of really bothered me um and also i really didn't like that the dogs were the first victims mm. um i don't yeah. like i don't like seeing animals of any kind getting mutilated or anything like that um i know it was meant to be shock value and i appreciate that um but i don't i don't like that <laughs> I, I love dogs i'm yeah. a dog person and even even if it was any other animal i i i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't like that mm. um but yeah uh and there's like a bunch of other stuff like kind of what i call even though this came out before what i call the walking dead syndrome which is not talking about things when they should be spoken about. Mm. Like the blood test thing, the guys thought about it. Blair thought about doing the blood test, but he didn't do it. He knew what was happening and he didn't mention anything. He just went off his rocker. Like, and uh, it, it bothered me because it was like, well, you know, because later on he's in the he's in, he's in the shed and he kind of calms down. And by that point, he's probably already been got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just really bothered me that he just went off because he was so conservative when we first were when we were first introduced to him, um, and then he just turned into this crazed, like man. He went from um, the smartest person in the room to the most insane. Yeah. Quick. So yeah, like, and it was it was wild to see. Um, but I yeah, have, I have some headcanon for that. Okay. So I I interpret that as like him either kind of a being aware he is infected and like is slowly losing that battle and his like going down in terms of insanity. Mm. Um, 
because like you can think about how that would be self-serving to the thing as well like destroying the radio equipment like yeah sure blair wants to do that to keep anybody from getting out or you know calling for help but also if you're the thing you can mitigate risk by uh, destroying that i yeah i suppose actually yeah you're mm -hmm. right it's an interesting point um yeah to keep it from like, getting to the mainland was his goal though wasn't it like at least it feels right. like it to me and that right that was also like kind of a big problem for me was like not knowing I know that was kind of the paranoia in the part and I did like that bit too, but I would have liked some clear cut like ideas on if, you know, that was because I, I, there is a trope with this movie uh, that goes on throughout the entirety of it. And it's uh, it's who you least expect while also suspecting the least suspected, like throughout <laughs> the entire movie, like that happens. Mm. Like, and I think there's only like other than the final three and ginger dude and windows, Right, I don't see how anybody else gets infected. I don't know how it happens. I would have liked at least one or two, like, but I don't see that right. uh, at all. Yeah, and I would have liked that. That's fair. Um, but in in the positive aspect of this film, the pacing is so good in this story. Uh, some of the best, like switching from revelation to revelation and then filling in the blanks in between, and it's done so well and so quickly. Well, not quickly, but succinctly. I think is probably a better yeah. word. Yeah. Um, yeah, and probably like one of my uh, there's a few favorite moments in this, but there's like one of my favorite lines in here in this movie. I think it's from McCready, um, and it's when he's it's just after he, he like they try and lynch him basically. Uh, after he comes back in, he mm. says, "We're not getting out of here alive, but neither is that thing." <laughs> Right, mm, nice. and I was like, oh, "It's the thing." He said, "The thing." It's the time. <laughs> you know, but also it felt really heavy, and it was delivered really, really well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've said a, I've said a lot of negatives, but like in terms, of the story is the the story is what the the film gives you. Like it's it's not too complicated, and you can build on it. And I think that's what they wanted you to do, They're like us doing this podcast right now. They want us to build on this story, and they want us to talk about it more have speculation and you know healthy speculation yeah. and uh yeah just just keep going go wild with it uh, i think it's i mean this might be in my conclusion as well but I, I said this before we started but i think it's kind of a travesty that this film has not been expanded more in expanded universes like novels or more comic books or stuff like that because mm. it can definitely be expanded on yeah i was i did i had similar thoughts when i sort of looked into it just uh you know this isn't actually a bit more of a not a sprawling franchise but it is uh, i would expect it a little bit more than what it actually has which is a shame and i guess that is yeah. because it took so long for public opinion on it to change um mm. yeah uh, my story thoughts beyond what i've already said generally positive i I about an hour and a bit in, I paused the film to go and do something, and I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, I'm already this far in. That's flown by." I was like, "I'm enjoying it so far," but then it started to go on and stuff. I was like, "Yeah, okay, I get the tension thing a little bit, and I know I wanted it. I needed to be more overt to keep my attention a bit because at one point I was like, "Oh no, am I actually going to dislike this classic film?" And then the last act of it really, really saved it. Basically, from the moment yep. that the doc gets his arm chomped off by another dude's stomach. stomach. Uh, and then, and then, yeah. then things go nuts, right? And I, that's where I was yeah. like, okay, I'm super back in. So they held me out right to the last moment where I was like, mm, is this going to go somewhere? And then it did. Uh, the last yeah. act is, uh, it went everywhere. The last act is, uh, 
is really really awesome and brought it back um it's i'm i'm, I'm excited to yeah. give it a second viewing to see how it feels <clears> on, a, on another go around in terms of how i felt about the sort of the three act uh, sort of nature of it um steve how do you feel about the plot of uh, the thing any standout stuff for you I mean, uh, are we going? To, are we discussing the ending separately? Or? No, I mean, go for it at this uh, point. I think. Yeah. I, I, I just want to. I want a quick roundtable uh, question on who do we think is the thing at the end, if anyone at all. Do you know this is one of those things where I don't even want to. I don't like to think about it. It just is what it is. I don't want to speculate. I know. But I know that's I know, not very it's it's common, an interesting answer. It, but it's a common question, though. I, sure. I, I want to so, hear the room. Uh, so Bergs, go for me. Um. So. To that end, uh, in terms of the ending, um, I think it's pretty well established that McCready stays human. Um, there's that you follow him pretty exclusively. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. if if he were if he were infected off camera, um, it'd feel cheap to me, and it'd be the only one that I'd I'd want to see as a viewer, like because they don't show anybody get infected on camera, mm. um, and it's part of what makes the tension great in the film. Like the closest you get is that one shot of the husky going in someone's room, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and the silhouette is actually not any of the cast members. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's a completely different person, so you're not supposed you're literally not supposed to know who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, I think that's that's well followed and established per the the rules that the the film gives me. Right. Uh, and then I also feel like, um, ch- childs. Right is also not the thing because oh, yes. when in that last scene, um, you, he has an eye light. See, I think that a lot of people turn around and say Childs is the thing because he doesn't breathe or all these things. I think no, it'd be you can much more... clearly see him breathing. Yeah, I think it's more poignant and dark and in tone with the film if they're both not the thing, but they're both going to die anyway. That is uh, actually what I was going to come back around to. Is like if I had to say something, it would be that they wind up freezing to death while like staring each other in the eyes, yeah. like terrified that yeah. they're about to get killed. And it turns out neither of them were. That, and that's kind of what I was saying about it being so futile at the end. Like I think you're right. That's probably the way I would go with it. Uh, but James, uh, to, to round us out, your thoughts on the thing ending. The ending of 1982, The Thing. Yeah. Who's um, infected? Oh, man. I don't know. And I think... I think I, I think I was okay with that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, fine with that's that. like, and that's why I kind of... That's kind of why I want more from the series. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, I think I came to terms with... You know, I think the film knew that as well. And what it was trying to put forward. Like, it's, it's meant to say to the viewer, are they? Aren't they? Are they going to survive? Oh, they've got the flamethrower right there. Just do the blood test again, you silly bugger. That's true. <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of times, you know, it's, it's kind of a thing with Hollywood movies in a way, but like there's a lot of things they could have done. But yeah, I, I, was, I was okay with not knowing. And I think like I, like, I, 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 can't, I can't be pushed either way whether mm. either one was the thing because I'd rather believe that they were and were not. Schrodinger's the thing. Mm. <laughs> so, so, so to, to, to throw the answer back at side, but yeah, that's why I love the things ending. Uh, yeah, that's fair. You know what? I like that summation. Well done. I appreciate that. That was clever. <laughs> um, Bergs, any uh, any thoughts on the, the the structure of the plot and any standout moments for you? Um, yes, uh, quite a few. Uh, the the dog kennel scene, obviously, for the for the reasons that James uh, stated already. Mm. Um, the the movie. 
world builds in really interesting ways. Um, one of the things it establishes in that scene is that like it takes time to imitate something entirely. Right. Mm. Um, and and as as the as the film continues, the only, when they catch it, it, it's because it didn't have enough time to finish. Mm. Uh, and you'll notice it gets faster the closer to the end of the movie. Um, to mm. so denote that it's learning how to do it better. Yes, very well, um, very true. I I I love that. Um, loved it. We learned that it's sensitive to cold, like sensitive to just temperature swings as well. Mm. Like, um, no, uh, the the how it's how it behaves is to me is is like a big standout. Like. Mm. The, from from when it's a dog to and how it how it interacts like it's a and this is again this is literally all speculation because because they don't actually indicate any of this actually but you kind of you know you're almost forced to speculate as to like what right. it's thinking yeah it makes um, you watch it a lot closer it makes you watch yeah. everyone a lot closer like the yeah. cast is doing to each other you know trying to figure out who's mm -hmm. what we're doing that as an audience makes you uh, want to watch it again right it does. absolutely hundred <laughs> percent. Um, it's terrifying to me that it, it has the capacity to, to the engineering knowledge to like literally cobble together a tiny spaceship. Mm. <laughs> From bits of radio and 1982 yeah. tech. Mm. Yeah, uh, absolutely cool. terrifying. Wow. I completely forgot about that. <laughs> um, exactly. I had that thought when I had that thought when James and I watched it again, I completely forgot about that scene in the movie mm. where they, they see that he tunneled down and made a, made a little, little base. Yeah. it's really cool. Um, um oh, sorry. Anything and else? the ending, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I'm with I'm with y'all. I I really don't care. Mm. Um, I think the ending is perfect. I think it's, I think it's a perfectly, like talking about it not having more space as a franchise. Like I think it itself is a perfect experience. Yeah. No, I mean that that is completely fair. Um, before we move on, it's just sort of staying with story. Actually, more specifically, getting into casting characters. Just just a little bit from everyone. If you have any thoughts on. Uh, the characters and performances. I know it's been touched on by some of you guys already. I disagreed that some of the performances are wonky. I didn't find that particularly at all. Nothing really took me out of the film. Yeah. Um, I don't think that most of the cast has a personality, to be honest. Uh, they're, they're, oh. No, I think we don't learn they're enough. They're not archetypal, are they? No, we... They're like... Yeah, they're just kind of... And, and that's not a bad thing as such, as you were kind of saying. They are just a group of human beings who work together. We don't really learn a whole lot about any of them. And it's... Maybe, you know, that's not really the point of the film. We're not there to become friends with all these guys. Um, I think the cast does really well with what they're given. And what they're given is limited for some of them. Um, but obviously the, the big ones really do stand out with Wood Brimley, as you said. Kurt Russell is great in this film and insanely handsome. Um, and, oh my goodness. And I didn't... I, yeah. And I didn't figure it out until right at the end of the movie that Charles is Keith David... Uh, in basically his <laughs> earliest non-theater role, uh, my guy, the Arbiter from Halo. I've, you know, I haven't seen him doing anything. The stuff that I've seen him on screen for, obviously, he does more voice acting these days. Um, but obviously, the stuff I've seen him is in the last twenty years, not the last forty years. So to see him as a young man like this, I was like, oh my god, that's actually that endears it even more. I love it. It's Keith David didn't yeah. even realize. <laughs> but uh, yeah, overall, pretty happy with the the performances. Some of the characters were uh, kind of just 
some 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 warm bodies to uh, to replicate. I think. Um, James, any thoughts on the the casting and the performances? I think the only one that, as I said, the only one that jumps out, like in terms of like one that I found pretty jarring, was Blair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everyone else, like, felt like they belonged. It felt like a densely populated area full of people that had a role. Mm-hmm. Like yep. it, um, yeah, it felt, it felt like a lab crew. Um, you know, and I love that there there was foreshadowing in this film, right? But yep. it was very vague. Subtle. So, so when Mac McCready, uh, Big Cat Logan, <laughs> was making a audio recording, he he started, and that was basically saying this guy's doing this now. He's doing this throughout the entire movie, but you don't see it through the entire movie. But he's definitely doing it because he says he's making an audio rec- recording uh, in case they all mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like not realize this thing could just destroy. No, no, don't go overthinking. They <laughs> don't know what tapes are, surely. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's great foreshadowing and really smart on his his. You know, mm. and the thing is, they they didn't like do what Hollywood typically does, which is like, uh, I mean, they could have done, but they could have done like a scene with him doing it, and then like there'd be like some drama there. But they didn't. He was just there was just one scene. Where he's um, he's just in the room and he does like I don't know it's like fifteen twenty seconds. Let uh, me he's uh, just doing it. Let me just like you know uh, hypothesize. Paul W S Anderson's the thing, right? We get a, a, a zoom in <laughs> uh, wireframe pan shot of the entire compound with text appearing on the screen as Kurt Russell is saying that audio log. We all die a little bit more inside. <laughs> Don't need any of that. That is, uh, yeah, that is awful. There's a there's a lens flare that goes across yeah. the whole screen. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that's JJ Abrams. That's not. That's... There's, a, there's a US Station 31 logo somewhere spinning around. <laughs> uh, but yeah, back onto back on the casting of characters, though. Um, I think one of my one of my favorite favorite bits, and it's not outwardly said, and I felt the I felt the courage and the bravery in these people but mm. it it takes a lot of guts especially with what they spoke about previously it takes a lot of gut, a guts to know your days are numbered right and not just give up yeah like the final three knew that their their fight these were the, their final hours they had no base to go to like we learn from the sequel there is a russian base 50 miles away or whatever right but that's they're not gonna survive 50 miles with no right. like provisions like yeah i know like that the ending where like that i don't know what it was maybe it was the dialogue um and maybe it was just everything all bundled into one the audio the cinematography the atmosphere and like the acting itself but i just felt these guys are so brave mm. yep. like for just deciding uh like to give up their lives for this because that's what they did i think that's um, really a really clever view of, of it that i wish more people had when the film had come out because i think the we talked a lot about the ending and i think that the ending was pretty much hated by a lot of people like test audiences and stuff like that said that they they wanted to ask the question well who was the monster who's not the monster it's like well that's the point i was like yeah. no we want to see him blow up the monster at the end and that's kind of this is the same year that et came out yeah. um big happy positive alien film it's just not what um cinema goers were interested in seeing at the point but it's it's important that the film had the ending that it did and i think what you've just said there actually adds some real humanity to it in the fact that their fate they face their own mortality and this this is what they can do is to stop this thing as best they can and uh yeah. to, to hell with themselves kind of about it sort of situation right and we we also had a redemption arc 
like that was soft as well. And there was a, there's a lot of softer character arcs in this mm. this film. And there is a redemption arc. The Cap, who I hated at the beginning of this film, yeah, right? yeah. did not did not like the Cap. Right, he was just a, a boob. Like he he almost <laughs> he almost like burst the eardrum of Radio Guy Windows. Like, and I was like, oh my god, dude, just calm the di- calm the hell down. Yeah. Mm. Like, but then you know he then one of my one of my favorite lines is like he goes he's like really calm and in the blood test area, and then he he just swears and he just get me off this effing couch, couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just thought it was so funny and then we get to the end and he's one of the final three mm. and he you can see in his face he's finally realized this is it i've got to work with these people i know it's like this is the end of my days you know but we've got to basically save the planet you know? yeah, pretty much uh, yeah. Even before then, you know, he abdicates his leadership, doesn't he? he like, oh, he does, he yeah. He's, he's going to mm. shoot windows, and he gets talked out of it, and like, oh, I can't do this. Offers the gun to Norris thing, and Norris thing decides, nah, mate, apparently I'm not well enough right now. No, he, uh, I thought that was, uh, that was very cool. Like, understand, it was interesting that that character did that. Like, a yeah. character saw it, and like, was able to analyze and assess like mm. all right so this is how we need to like address this right now um yeah it's you know we have to work together or it's game over for everyone kind of thing like they're right. forced to make the right decision uh, and your ego kind of be damned um steve any standout car- i know you talked about it a little bit but any more notes on characters and casting in general, like as a thing throughout a lot of Carpenter movies, it's generally considered that he has his protagonists and everyone else is kind of functional. Yeah, I think in this case, it's more obviously McCready is like you know main protagonist, but everyone else is that little bit between. Like if you if you follow them and see what they're doing, uh, I love how they the, the the film heavily leans on implicating Clark. He's weird before even anything is going down. Yeah, he's a weird loner. Yeah, he's the weird guy who loves his dogs, and then he's acting almost like he's possessed by an alien right up until the point he gets shot in the head and he's not one. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, stuff like that is great. Mm. Uh, the, the, the only real issues I've got, I think, are Childs's freakout on the chair is so unbelievably humane it makes me uncomfortable when he realizes that he's sat next to a man who might be a thing. Oh and he's yeah. Just seen all that. <laughs> Like, like, you know, yeah. Get me out of here! Get me the hell out of here! Like that is unnervingly uncomfortable. So props to Keith David for making me feel on edge. Yeah. At a 1982 film. <laughs> <laughs> Bergs, any uh, final thoughts on characters and cast before we move on? Um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I said, I think as an ensemble cast, it it did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Uh, <laughs> the dog, actually. The dog. Do you know what? You're not wrong. Performance. Yeah. Good, like, good, good boy. Yeah, absolutely. Like, that dog acted the hell out of those scenes, and um, that that I, mean, I know that's a big part of uh, again the healthy speculation because like this is a rewatch watching it, like the dog is clearly trying to assess what's going on. Mm. Uh, it's watching, it's listening, it's not doing anything. Aside from that, mm-hmm. um, it's information gathering. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, I, I which, agree. It's... Which is awesome. Uh, and that's the and it's conveyed well in the movie uh, mm. from a dog, and I think that's impressive. Aside from that, the humans all did fantastic. Oh, um, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Actually, I wrote, forgot to write that in my notes. But you're right, like, the the actual acting from the dog was uh, was superb. It's uh, definitely something that I noticed. 
Uh, okay, let's. We've, we've talked quite a lot about this movie already, and we haven't even really got into one of the meatiest parts that we need to talk about, most certainly. <laughs> so, uh, the, the, the sort of last big section uh, is going to be effects, of course. Mm. It's the mm. Before the, the age of CGI, um, you know, it, this film has aged because it is 40 years old, but I, yeah. I think... I, I would like to think, I think we'll all pretty much agree with this, it would probably age a lot worse if it wasn't practical effects and it was your sort of early uh, eighty, well, mid-80s CGI, it would have been. Um, yeah. yeah, I was... You know, it, it ranges, obviously, because, again, it's 40 years old. But that being said, there were things in this that really impressed me from someone mm-hmm. um, who has seen a lot of practical effects in movies over the years stuff that i looked at and went wow like how how do they actually do that like you know i know that's not cgi stuff like the tendrils when they come out of the dog thing um and the which if i understand correctly they did it and then sort of as they push them in and then reverse the footage so it looks like they're all like flying out and wiggling everywhere i was like of course it's obvious now i know that but looking at it i was like wow which is exactly the effect that you want uh, and also special shout out to the the head of Norris thing when it hits the floor, uh, the yeah. tongue like grab the yeah. tongue grabs like a chair leg and it like, pulls itself along. I was like that's so good. Um, yeah, the film was really criticised for being gratuitous with its gore, um, and it, it is to a certain extent, which is obviously kind of the point. It's a body horror, it, the first big body horror film really of this kind of budget especially but also yeah it's really not gratuitous at all by today's Mm-mm. standards like this is way ahead of its time in that sense um there is a lot oh, i kind of touched on it really earlier when i was talking about the third act when things get mental but before that there's like a large swath of time with basically no effects at all um so it does feel kind of minimal in places in terms of what we see today and the amount of stuff we see in films today uh, but when we get to all the melting faces and the <laughs> the head chomping thing where the guy lifts someone up in the air by his head, like it's fantastic. It's it's absolutely ridiculous, but it looks mm. great and it absolutely holds your attention. Uh, Berger, what are your thoughts on the practical effects of the thing forty years later? Um, they they're amazing. Uh, and again, I, and I say this, as I, I've said it already, like I, I say this in the, knowing the context of when the film was created and right. what to expect from that era. Like you compare this movie to stuff that even came out after it, um, stuff that came out after it recently, stuff that came out after it recently named after it. And it's better than what you <laughs> see in those other projects. Um, mm-hmm. Again, fully understanding the context and like what it is, it's, Oh my goodness, it's such an incredible example. Like everything is gross and and, and the detail on it is immense because mm-hmm. there's a lot of really like fast close shots right of of what it is and um like understand, you know, to 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 you're thinking about no cuz I know you you know you know a little bit about how the sausage is made. So behind the scenes mm-hmm. you're like you know what's going into each of these scenes and I think that um it's delivered well upon. I, I'm terrified of it, and, and like it, it, it does so much. It does so much to defend itself, and it's all great. Yeah, I um, I agree what you were saying, sort of there. The way that it's kind of like you were inferring about the way that it's shot. Obviously, it helps it massively as well because at no point did we really get 
too much of an idea of what the hell these things even really are. Like the yeah. way it's shot is not just like boom, here's a here's a good look at it. Every single one is like you see bits and pieces. Even just like the bodies that they're dissecting, you don't get a clear look at what it was. Just bits and pieces, highly detailed bits and pieces, which which really really helps. I think it was uh, like the uh, head effects guy um, I was reading said that basically. Uh, they didn't want to just put a man in a suit because you know, it's, as you said about the sausage yeah. being made, you know it's a guy in a suit when you see something walking around like that. But no, yeah. instead they've made these unworldly animatronics and puppetry stuff that, uh, yeah, yeah, really sticks with you. And it does it. It's a little bit, you know, disconcerting because you don't get a proper look and a proper understanding of what it is, which is exactly what they were going for. Um, yeah. Steve, what are your thoughts on the effects of the thing 40 years later? Is it hyperbolic to say cultural touchstone that wasn't appreciated at its time? I don't think so. Uh, no. You know, <laughs> like, we all know how amazing the alien is. When, whenever we get around to talking about the alien on the alien podcast, you know, James is going to probably sing his praises as much as we all are. Yeah. And the thing didn't get that. And despite that, I would say there's only really one effect in the film that kind of draws me out a bit, and that's when Windows is lifted up and you can see. tell it's some kind of ragdoll. Right. You know, sure. Everything else is phenomenal and like awe-inspiring to look at. Same token, it's got its own distinct style. It's not a man in a suit. It's not uh, leaning too hard into the sexually disturbing imagery of Giga. So it's got its mm, own mm -hmm. distinct aesthetic. that is not touched upon much except in our beloved video game franchises, particularly the tempo one of our podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so yeah. yeah, damn, some of that stuff is great. I would argue stronger than the evil dead by a yep. wide margin. Mm -hmm. Uh, 100%. some of, uh, the Indiana Jones face melt scene maybe comes close, but nowhere near as like in your Visceral. face terrifying as this. Yeah. Mm. Visceral is a good word. Uh, it's, yeah. it, 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 I've already ranted a bit about the way this film was received back in the day, but my God. What, what 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 crap? What what, what are they what were they on? I mean, I know this film also. Not only did it contend with ET, it came out the same week as Blade Runner. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, So it, it it was already like you know it, it was not having an easy deck stacked against it. But Jesus Christ, mm. like you look at the way that dog thing forms. Just that stuff alone yeah, is it's terrifying. Amazing. Then you get to the Norris thing. You know, I would argue maybe if I had to pick one thing that was a bit rubbish, it's probably the Palmer thing. But it catches up because it's in the blood test scene. That whole scene's just got an, a, a mishmash of every right little scent to just make it terrifying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the stop motion at the end with the, the giant final boss, you know, we shoot the dog for massive damage. Or throw TNT at it. it <laughs> right. So, yeah, no, underappreciated despite the fact that it's had a massive influence on the game industry to this day, yeah. like through the Resident Evil franchise, Dead Space, God knows how many other things. Right. The first two come to mind. You know, it yeah. makes me mad. Yeah, so uh, of course, the dog thing uh, referenced in Resident Evil 5 in 2000, 2009, which is the Julia, mm. pretty much just the dog thing with the way their heads split open. Um, and even as recently as 2019, the way that the Ivy from Remake 2 Kills has really reminded me, well, or, or vice versa, of the Palmer head chomp thing, the way it oh, takes yeah. it. Yeah. I was like, wow, like they're still taking bits from this film all this time later, which is really, really Someone cool. needs to mod like your character model being flung in the air like one of those wibbly woo men outside car dealerships. <laughs> just to get the full effect. You know? Listen, you're gonna, we're gonna sit here and not to you're not gonna mention the tentacle aesthetic that's established. Oh god. Sure. Yeah, like, I mean you you talk about not sexually aggressive, but 
and I, I would agree, but when you think about that kind of thing, that feels intentional. A, bun- um, a bunch of dudes trapped in an outpost with no women and there's tentacles everywhere. I've, it's, it, it is interesting. Um, but also just in terms of like how tentacles are prevalent and also in, in Resident Evil. Right, totally. Um, and how they're depicted too, because it's like always like that, that under the skin squirmy thing. Mm. Yeah. It's like a weird fiber optic like in a tentacle flesh, isn't it? This like yeah. not massive throbbing pulsing things, but like no, sure. evil spaghetti. Right. James, any thoughts on uh, evil spaghetti forty years on? Um I'll get more into kind of the <laughs> the, the the sexual side of it later yeah. on, uh, potentially, but not and it won't be about this because I wanna I wanna give, you know, the new movie something because sure. it does have a lot. But um yeah, like the attention to detail in this movie is great. I think one of the the very first sh- one of the first shots that made me go, "Whoa, okay, I can see the quality of this," is when you see the mutated body they find at the uh, the normal. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but oh, it was uh, Egvard, wasn't it? Egvard? Adam and Egvard, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, when they find his body and like the pain in the face and it's like burnt and it's oh, so well done. Um. For- <laughs> Some reason I put spider dog, spider dog, dog do whatever the spider dog. Do. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and like, it's made me laugh. But yeah, one of the um, one of the things I put down here, uh, which kind of to to kind of zoom out a little bit on the entire film, um, this creature is chaos incarnate in what it is. Mm. Mm. Um, and the I don't know if they bought like they bored like they're whiteboarded or blackboarded it back then whatever but this movie portrays that within the characters as well like as soon as it throws its chaos in everybody else you know also goes wild and that's because of the character the 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 monster designs yeah because the monster designs are so chaotic and they're just like there's no rhyme or reason why they should work but they do mm. um yeah, I, I just thought that was kind of a um, a thing to mention because it is chaos in what it is, and it does it it does what it wants, not what anyone else wants like, tells it, mm-hmm. and it never will either. Yeah. Um, and the like those the things to draw attention to for me, um, like when it comes to the details, like uh, we're talking about Resident Evil, like the dog uh, <laughs> when it's in its basically its final form uh, before they before they flame throw it. You can see all these eyes opening mm. and closing. Yeah. Op- like on this thing. And it was gross. And I loved it. Um, and it what like it, throughout this entire film, it made me squirm. Mm. And yeah. I want to be made to feel uncomfortable. Like, I mean, well, to an extent. I want I do want to feel uncomfortable in a horror, especially a body horror. I want to squirm. I want to feel like I don't want to watch the screen, but yes, I do. Yeah. I think, you know? Yeah. Not to go like a million years back, but I remember distinctly talking about this on the Resident Evil 2 remake podcast, how the lower the lower sewer, which is like covered in organs and flesh, yeah. it's pulsing and mm. stuff. This area in the game very much always put me on edge, and now I think I know why. Mm. Because of this bloody film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Totally. Mm. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> I was the same as you, Steve, by the way. I, everything else is great about this movie in terms of practical effects as we all know practical effects are far superior to cgi and they always will be until we actually you know get better at cgi but um 
the the bit where Windows is getting grappled and is you see his straw legs. Yeah, it, is <laughs> it really threw um, me. <laughs> but other than that, like everything else about that scene was perfectly done. Um, yeah, they, they with the with what they had at the time, there was no way they could have made it any more perfect. Mm. It, it was it was great. I, uh, the other cool practical effect that I had a note on um, was the fa- the arms when the guy gets his arms broken yeah. off. They actually had an oh, extra geez, yeah. with um, no arms in that scene. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so really yeah. again, clever filmmaking. It's the hide a two arm amputee and put a fat um, uh, put a mask over him. Which if you freeze frame and look at that, you can tell it's a mask. Yeah, it happens so quick. It's like a thirteen maybe 30 microseconds of shot, you, you know, you wouldn't see it. Unless you're looking for <laughs> it. It's, it's pretty good. Accurate, Steve. Yeah. Um, okay. We've gone quite long on the first film. We've got, still got another one to talk about. So I did <laughs> want to talk a little bit about the music, but let's just keep it really, really brief. Um, I'm pretty sure I can just sum up my themes about the, my feelings on the music, on the fact that it's brilliant. It's brilliant. The soundtrack for this Absolutely. film is uh, stunningly good. The main theme, especially, uh, I'm ama- I'm kind of saddened that this isn't something that I was really all that aware of until now. It's I don't think it's quite as up there with like tubular bells and stuff like that, but it's pretty close. It sets the mood so well, um, and yeah, just the music throughout is great. I've been listening to the soundtrack all week since because of the film. Uh, I can't put it down. It's it's really it's yeah incredible. Um, Bergs, thoughts on the soundtrack for the thing, just um, just briefly. Briefly to to not rehash it. Uh, John Carpenter soundtracks always slap. Yeah, this that's one fair. also slaps. Yeah. Um, you've you've said it. Yeah. Like, it's, I was John... um, I was surprised. I didn't realize when the sorry to cut you off, but when the credits came up, it's like you know theme composed by uh, Ennio Morricone, and I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, he he wrote some stuff, but they didn't. They kind of like didn't use it, and they kind of yeah. took his writings and turned them into John Carpenter music. And both of them are fantastic composers, but they I think they went the right direction that they did yeah. with it. Um, so like, there's a there's a quote from John Carpenter indicating that he always uses his scores like like wallpaper, mm. like it's meant to dress the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 you like you said the. It carries it along. It just pulls you and keeps you good, and it, like builds the scene and the t- yeah. like. It it feels good. No, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, especially and, the and... um the the Resident Evil music that plays in the Norwegian mm-hmm. camp, which just as a, <laughs> as a... I'm not the only one who thought that. Great. Yeah. No. I was gonna say that. <laughs> that's why that scene feels even more like a, a you know the Resident Evil took so much from it because the music just feels like it as well. Uh, Steve, any expanding upon the soundtrack other than it's superb. Well, yeah, at one point I was just, is this wandering about? Am I listening to wandering about? <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, I'll just touch on, I can't remember where I read this, but yes, the music is phenomenal. But uh, someone described the, the main theme as it's the thing trying to replicate a heartbeat. Yeah. It only manages it in like, the last few seconds. Yeah. And until then, it's like humanity struggling against it. And I thought that was just, that's perfect for this entire film as a metaphor. Yes. So, yeah. I also, a banger. I also read that. It's got like two beats throughout the theme. And they kind of merge by the end, which is super, super, like pointlessly clever. It's so good. Uh, James, yeah. any any thoughts on the music? 
Uh, great opening music, suspenseful, mysterious, uh, masterclass in suspense. Yeah, well said. All right, uh, okay, let's 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 sum up the 1982 film before we move on. So, final conclusions on the 40 years of the thing. Um, Steve, what are your final thoughts on this classic film? This film is underappreciated. If for some reason you are listening to this podcast and you have still not seen it, please, I implore you, do pay its dues. Mm-hmm. Go and watch it. I will argue maybe some of the effects might be a bit uh, bizarre to a more modern eye. And if you've seen Among Us first, you know, try <laughs> and put that at the back of your mind a little bit and you'll have a fun time. Yeah, no, it's a banger. It deserves more appreciation than it's ever had. And this is despite the fact that it's considered an underrated cult classic. Yeah, no, you're right. I think uh, it's it's that actual underrated that has is still underrated all this time. I agree. It's I don't think it's perfect. I think it's really, really good. It's not just the music that's lived in my head all week. The whole film has. And as we kind of all alluded to, oh, no, another excuse to watch it again. Never mind. I guess I'll go do as a last <laughs> As a last word, mm. um, before we jump into 2011 from me, I, um, this film was hated and reviled by critics at launch, but it has had such a massive effect on the industry to the point it's still got a sequel slash remake. Yeah, and um, I think that they are working on another one as well. As we speak. Oh, so, yeah. oh, no. Yeah, so join us for the follow-up podcast, I suppose, at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, another thing that's so good about this is that even when you compare it to other monster movies, it's still otherworldly. It's not... It's yeah. unlike any other sort of horror monster movie that is out there, even 40 years later. Um, everything else that's tried to do it is a, is a pale comparison. Um, Berg's final thoughts on the thing? Um, timeless. Mm-hmm. Like, and, I, and I've said that a couple of times. I'll say it again. Alien and Aliens are timeless films. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is a timeless film. Like you can you can watch and enjoy this movie at any point, even 40 years later. It's still a good movie. Um, I, I should hope that anybody watching it would understand to appreciate something within the context of its creation. Yeah. Um, in comparison to modern stuff, that's why we still have like classic video game people who want to play those. Um, mm-hmm. but no, timeless. It has, it has it, it spawned a genre of video games that spawned yeah. a podcast, that spawned <laughs> a bonus episode where we talk about it. So like, um, wonderful. Excellent. Uh, James, final thoughts on the 1982 version of The Thing? It's pretty good, isn't it? It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. It made, it made $4 million in profit, which yeah. is such Criminal. a... Criminal. Yeah. <laughs> like, even to this day, like, this film is 40 years old, and it made $4 million in profits. Like, this film, to help with that, I think this film should be soft relaunched and should be at every cinema. Like, so people can appreciate it again. Mm. You know, like, it's all like, like, like me, Alien. Yeah. Like me, um, I, I never got to see Alien at cinema. Nineteen seventy-nine. I wasn't even alive, right? So, like, being able to go watch that again, like, was amazing. And I brought five friends with me who had never seen Alien before. Right. Right. So if they do this again, I mean, you know, the numbers won't be huge. You know, a lot of people will look at it and go, "Oh, this is bygone." You know, but it would. I just yeah people need to appreciate this mm-hmm. this film more it, it it definitely deserves it and uh yeah if like just judging by this profit margin here you can see that it was severely underrated yeah. and it didn't deserve that 
Yeah, I'm with you. It's, uh, we, we've covered it rather accidentally at a wonderful time considering it turns 40 this summer. So, yeah, hopefully it gets some kind of return to cinema because uh, I will probably be doing the same thing and I will probably be dragging people with me that have no doubt, like me, never seen it before. So, uh, yeah, masterclass is definitely the word.
Okay, so let's jump ahead a whole bunch of years to 2011 to cover the film's canonical prequel, uh, also titled The Thing, or The Thing 2011, if you like. Um, directed by, and I'm, I hope I don't uh, butcher this, uh, Matthias van Heinegen. Um, he actually was tapped to direct the sequel to the Dawn of the Dead reboot that we've actually previously covered. What do you know? And, nice. uh, but um, w- which is which is the film that has eventually become Army of the Dead all these years later. Uh, but the, the actual sequel was pitched at the time of the Dawn of the Dead remake success, uh, but it fell through and he asked his agent for any Alien or The Thing projects and got a gig working on this, which was being developed by the producers of the Dawn of the Dead remake as well. Um, so it released, a, much like the original film, to overall negative reviews. It did make the 31.5 million back of its 38 million budget. So it actually, unlike the original film, did not score a profit. And as of the time of writing, it has a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. So let's get into the 2011 version of The Thing. Um, James, do you, you said before that you'd seen this previously. Do you remember your first experience with this one? Yeah, uh, I watched. I remember similarly to now, um, except it was more in my own casual, um, casual like, yeah, uh, company. But like, I I watched the the original, and then the two thousand. I knew the two thousand eleven thing was coming out, and right. I love Mary Lives of Winstead. Right. So I was like, oh yeah, I watch it, and. Yeah, I uh, that was when I watched it. I mean, I I didn't go to the cinema or anything. I I think I waited for it to come out like on like like Blu-ray or something, and then watched it. I didn't watch it with anybody, um, and I remember le- like watching it and not being like not seeing a problem with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I remember, I remember enjoying it, and then yeah, it kind of been reinforced again, and we'll go into it, but reinforced again watching it with Bergs and Steve. Um, yeah, I, I. This is another. This is another film which I think was underrated. But we'll uh, go into that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, as someone that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've got. I've have thoughts on either side of the fence. Don't worry. Um, Bergs, I'm very interested to know. You know, what was your so, first experience with this? Because, as you said, you grew up a fan of the original, pretty much. I I did, and I actually I can tell you I remember when I watched this movie. Uh, I worked at a at an establishment called Game Crazy, which was inside of a chain called the Hollywood Video. Mm. Um, and one night I had to stay open, but we had to like I had to stay open for midnight release. And uh, the guy who was running the Hollywood Video, who had to stick around with me, he was like, "Hey, we just got that new thing movie, and do you want to watch it while we're waiting for the midnight?" And so like we watched it on like 24, 22 inch televisions that were in a cube <laughs> on a wall. Um, <laughs> I remember hating it because I was a fan of the original. Mm. Um, it, 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 I, I remember feeling like, oh, this is just a shot-for-shot shot remake with like worse stuff and bad CGI and, uh, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I'll pause you there. Um, Steve, have you seen the twenty or had you seen the twenty eleven version before the uh, the impromptu movie night you guys had? Uh, yeah, I had. It was uh, about a million years ago. Does anyone remember Love Film? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So they used to send films out. Like, if you didn't pick from their rental service, they'd send some to you, just as like, yeah, 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 yeah. why don't you check these out? And we got, I want to say, Deathly Hallows Part 1 Ooh. and The Thing remake at the same time. Now, by this point, I've seen The Thing, but I hadn't realized it had got the, you know, the sequel, prequel, whatever. Mm. And I didn't have, and still probably don't, give two tosses about Barry Hotter. So it was a very divisive movie night where the kids watched that film and then I watched the thing and watched them scurry off to bed so fast the second split head turned up. It was amazing. <laughs> and I seared up into my head. So I've got per- I've got at least some appreciation for this film that can like, you know, scare off Harry Potter fans. <laughs> Which is a very odd, unique thing. So thanks, love film. Rest in peace. That's a great quote for the box, isn't it? Can scare off Harry Potter fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the, the thing is, right, okay, t- total tangent, and I realise that, but... I am not a person who has read the books and and I hadn't seen any of the films. So having had to sit through Deathly Hallows Part 1, right. got no context, it was torture. It's just people sitting in a tent for four hours, it feels like. So, yeah. <laughs> Subjecting them to uh, some um, body horror from uh, you know an Antarctic research base was fantastic. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's fair. Um, we're going to dissect this much in the same way as the 82. I feel like we'll probably not go quite as in-depth, otherwise we might be here all day. But let's start where we started with the previous film, uh, with the themes, the atmosphere, the cinematography. Uh, I'll do the setup, of course, which is fairly straightforward. Uh, As I said, this is a prequel. This is a direct prequel to the thing. It literally takes place, uh, I guess, like 24 hours beforehand, I suppose, or or a couple days beforehand, because the way the film ends directly ties it to the 82 version. Um, and it is the exploration of the Norwegian camp from the original film that our characters kind of come across in its devastated state. And we get to see um, how how their few their last few days went dealing with the thing after they discover and excavate it uh, from underneath the Antarctic. So that's that's just set up, which is, you know, I, I, I love the idea of that. We'll get into more of that when we get to the story, but let's talk about sort of the themes and the paranoia uh, was a big thing that we had to talk about with the original, so let's start there. Um, Berger, how do you feel about the, the tension, the paranoia, the suspicion in the 2011 version? Um, so overall, uh, just to recap, is I've changed my opinion on it. Okay. Um, since upon the rewatch. Um, I do want to say that because I I think they did a great job um, in a different way because there's a a dynamic in the 2011 film where you have this established team of Norwegians Mm. um, who all know each other, who've all worked each other, and these Americans come in and, like, disrupt that. So there's a level of paranoia between, you know, just language barriers and language groups, Mm -hmm. um, which adds into it. And then there's, like... The I call them Doctor Bad Guy, who's like actively <laughs> trying to subvert the one person who's like establishing like, all right, so here's what we need to do to to not get destroyed, and he's like trying to subvert that using this that language barrier and the fact that she doesn't speak Norwegian. Mm. Um, I love love that. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the the tone and the paranoia level of it, it's yeah, just keeping it dialed into that. It was uh, uh, there. Yeah, it's a really clever way to use because I mean, think if you're going to do a prequel to the thing and it's going to be set in the Norwegian camp, how do we deal with 
the language barrier to the audience, right? That's probably yeah. a question mm-hmm. that the filmmakers had to make is like, we can't have all these characters speaking Norwegian for an American made film. So we've dropped some American characters in there for good reasons, for decent enough reasons that they came up with in the plot, which allows all the characters pretty much to speak English. But then, as you said, that that becomes kind of like the big part of the paranoia for me. Um, I don't think, because this film has an even slimmer running time, I think it suffers because of that. We get even less yeah. of the tension from the original film. We are bouncing very quickly to from plot point to plot point, I think. But you're right to start positively there. That's a really good uh, addition. Um, Steve, how do you feel about the paranoia aspect of the prequel? I actually feel like it's played down for more of a power struggle. Mm. Um, like you know, mm. the, 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 in in comparison to the paranoia and mystery of the first film, this is more of a slasher film with a bit of shades of Jurassic Park of all things. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Someone took Jurassic Park and a slasher movie and the thing and blend them together to make this. Not not necessarily the worst combination in the world, but I can definitely see where they've lifted things. Like even some panning shots feel like you could be flying over a really tropical island filled with T Rexes. Comparison <laughs> to the sweeping apocalyptic wasteland of Antarctica. Mm. You know, it's not really apocalyptic in the nuclear sense, but it certainly doesn't feel all that populated. Right. Uh, and yeah, as a result, it's mostly boils down to there's no real air of distrust. Yeah, they try and test people, but it just escalates so fast that any outing of the thing is more leads to just massive bloodshed. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the one time that you get any moment of trying to figure out who the thing is, who it might be, you pretty have an obvious tell with Griggs. Did you leave that open? And then. Ten minutes later, his chest splits open and he's, yeah, it escalates from there. So, yeah, it's mostly about the power struggle between guy whose name I cannot remember and Kate. <laughs> and her having, trying to be the smartest person in the room and him being a corporate-minded guy who's trying to look at the profit finding this alien life form. Right. Well, Almost I'm, an umbrella executive, it feels like. Uh, Dr. Halvorsen. <laughs> All right. I don't know that I got the impression that he was like corporate. Like I got the impression that he wanted the credit. Yeah, that's what I mean. Sorry. Yeah. Mm. Um, like as a side and in like an academia sense. He right. wants all the fame and the glory. Right. He wants to be the guy that discovered aliens. Mm. Mm. Uh, James, how do you feel about the, the paranoia in this one? Um, it's not really much to say because they they pretty much touched on a lot of the beats of the original. Like I feel like they did study the original a lot for this, mm-hmm. um, and they went back and like they kind of like just basically stayed on what they knew was good, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think it's kind of a travesty that this film didn't do very well because it did touch on a lot of the same kind of beats in terms of the atmosphere and the suspense that the original did like i i can't really fault it in any way um like uh, pacing it's come up that pacing was a problem but i i feel like it was pretty much the same pacing as the original mm. like i i didn't think it was rushed um at all like there there was some there was some weird bits which i'll go into later but overall like i felt it was a pretty well uh, orchestrated kind of uh, film in terms of the atmosphere and the paranoia aspect of things because they use different tools use different like kind of leverage right uh in the movie so to make uh to make it a new experience while also keeping it like the thing ish you know mm-hmm. it definitely felt like a, a the thing movie to me 
Okay, that's fair. You know, I, I agree with that to a certain extent. Um, I wonder if it's because it follows so closely the original and there are definitely things to be said about that later, as I say. I have positive things to say, but at this point, what I'm about to just go through on these notes makes it probably sound like I completely hate this film. And I'm going to put it out there that I, I didn't hate this film. I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I watched it. Um, I do think that I, I didn't feel the tension quite in the same way that I did with the 82 version. I felt like it was heading in the right direction. Um, but the pacing for me really took a hit. And I think that's probably a studio decision kind of thing. Um, the first act of this film concerned me because it kind of felt like a generic monster movie a little bit. Once the thing jumps out of its little ice coffin uh, and into the ceiling and then it goes you know, rummaging around. Like, that's a cool idea, but uh, I wasn't really keen on the the ways that we saw it and the way that it immediately grabbed who it could and in front of someone else as well. It was like, I'm going to eat you. I'm, 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 I'm a monster. Um, in the, obviously in the original film, it's a really slow burn and we don't see anything. We see a dog wandering around and we don't know that it's actually an alien until right. decently far into the film, stuff like that. This goes, it's alive. It's a monster. It's running around. I was like, Ugh, by that point, that being said, uh, it did find itself later in the film, certainly. after, after In the same way that the original did, um, when all the characters are really aware and believe what's going on, that's yeah. when it felt right to me and it got the, got going from there. But the beginning, was a, it felt a little bit strange, a little bit out of kilter for me. Um, my compliments for the original film about the location and understanding the geometry, I didn't get that from this. And that's unfortunate. John Carpenter is just a more experienced director I think at this point and I think he just had a better idea of what he was doing whereas I don't think the directing and the cinematography on this was nearly as strong so I didn't it just feels like a big version of the other camp like do you remember these hallways here they are but we didn't get really a full understanding of what it was and also the other thing I didn't like and I feel like I'm harping on but I will stop uh there was some like really 2010s jump scare nonsense yeah. in this that I was like oh really do we have to have like a boot no not really boot you know stuff <laughs> like, do we need that like that I didn't feel like the original had to rely on silly double take jump scares but we did get that in the early part once all that stuff's out the way though as I say in the in the sort of mid of the film um it, it that entertained me a lot more um how do we feel about I sort of touched on the cinematography, but let, let's jump onto that one then. Um, Bergs, how do you feel about the the way this film is shot? Uh, are you a fan? Um, meh, kind of. Like it, it doesn't have the um, the feeling of the first one almost at all. I mm. think. Um, I I do I do like how it's shot in that um, it's a perfectly serviceable film. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, like it's a it's not a bad movie no um, no i most of my uh thoughts on it are as like a as a whole uh and in comparison to the other one um so like it, i i don't know that i have any specific like mm. lighting cinematography um there's so much cgi that lighting is kind of hard anyway yeah fair um but uh, I thought I thought the I thought it was fine, like like I I have notes about like 
other stuff, but lighting and cinematography on this fair, one I don't have much. Fair on. enough. It was perfectly fine. Um, James, how did you feel about the way the film was shot? Mm. I think I think we're being a bit harsh because it it basically copied <laughs> the original movie, right? It was it just a and it just updated it like to to have like a a clearer picture. Um, like the beginning is almost exactly, exactly the, same. the same, yeah. You know, and you know the the I I found that the like the mapping was fine. Um, of the like, I got like it was very similar to the to the American base, mm-hmm. like in terms of how they were moving around. Um, yeah, I like I, I feel like it, you know again, I I haven't put much in setting because and it, that's because it basically did everything the original did. Yep, like for me, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, that's okay. That's me, fair because it's the original fine. was fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, before yeah. the fight, it was it was great. Okay, that's fair. Don't worry. There is a there is a lid in front of me that I'm about to peel off when we get to, <laughs> when we get to story. I'm just waiting for the right moment. But uh, Steve, how did you feel about the way this film was shot? Uh, conventional, uh, acceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say uh, mid two thousands, mid buster. You know, it's not a blockbuster, but it's not terrible. Yes, yeah. okay. Uh, there are some shots that feel like homages, uh, not necessarily to the thing. And, and they're okay to light a composition. That's the thing. It's just okay. Yeah. There's nothing that jumps out at me as like, you know, offensive or inoffensive. There's some yeah. shots that I would argue, I was talking to the guys last night on the rewatch, that this, did you know this came out a year before Prometheus? And yeah, it seems to be riffing on Prometheus. That's amazing. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, there are some shots there that do have almost a Ridley Scott edge, but never really reaches that height. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. I think, and yep. I absolutely agree. It's 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 not bad by any means. It's it's good. It's perfectly serviceable. It's it ain't gonna change your world necessarily, but it's yes, yeah, it's, it's no problems with the, with the actual directing or anything like that. Mm. Um, okay, cool. Well, in that case, let's get a little bit deeper into it because I got some, I got some things to say, guys. I have things. Um, so uh-huh. <laughs> the big positive for me as a prequel. This is absurdly good. Absurdly yeah, good. 100%. As, as a let's di- go! Right, let's get into the hype <laughs> for this one. As a direct setup to the original camp about oh the Norwegian God. camp that excavates the body and goes through the same experience, it's brilliant. It gives us yep. the origin of the body that they find with the two faces. It shows us how yep. that happens. They yes. go through the burnout building. They find the body of the man who committed suicide. They've, the axe in the wall. All of these things... And they don't even feel like they're just there for, like... Uh, sure, the axe in the wall, maybe, if you haven't seen the original, it doesn't mean much, but it isn't going to take you out of the film. It's just a thing that right. happens. It's, it's part of a cool sequence. And all these little things, and it, it so wonderfully ties up to the 1982 version, right to the way that it ends. It's really clever. It's clearly done with some real love for the source material. You can feel the excitement of the people that made this film and their love of the original film in the way that they went, oh, yep. it would be cool if we can do this and we can explain this. And it's like, that's awesome. They even go as far as like going, the UFO was completely under the snow, uh, but it melts the snow on top of it when the engines turn on. <laughs> like that's, yeah. It's so good. Yes. Um, Details. Yes. This unfortunately has a big flip side, but I'm going to put a pause here before I go to my issues with it. And let's stay with the positive. Uh, Bergs, you're very excited about this. How do you feel about this as a prequel to the film? As a prequel to the thing, it's everything I could have asked for. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it 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 hits the it hits the appropriate beats. It like answers questions. It it leaves you with more questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it like I I I loved a lot about this movie as a prequel to the thing because yeah, being a big fan, you go into it and um. I I remember I remember disliking it, just on principle. God, they remade the thing. Yeah, of course. Right. Um. And like rewatching it again on a critical eye, no, I, I as a as a prequel to the thing, I I thought it was uh, without without getting too much into specifics reasons as to why it, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm certain there's be space to get more specific in a moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, James, how do you feel about it as a prequel to the '82 version? It's the it's the best prequel there's ever been. It's yep. you know it's really up there, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, like um, I can't think unless somebody right. I, I, do you know what I said? I wasn't going to mention aliens too much to myself, <laughs> but if somebody did River of Pain, right in a movie, right? Oh, I, because that's what I was thinking with this. With this, I was thinking. Uh, by the way, for those that don't know, River of Pain is like a an audio drama and book prequel. What happened as Hadley's hope and aliens was being alienified right mm. that's what i call it <laughs> um but yeah like that's the that's the vibe i got like while i was watching it and yeah it's like i can't think of any other prequel and what a great way to reboot a franchise as well yeah. like mm-hmm. to have a prequel to follow up on like because because what you're doing when you do this even though i still feel like it wasn't received well for some reason uh, maybe we we're just in like a weird time at that point but like you want that nostalgia, and they gave you it. Here's nostalgia for you in spades. We're going to give you the same as. We're going to give you the base they went to. We're going to tell you what happened. Like, we're going to tell you. We're going to show you the UFO. We're going to show you part of the alien. We're going to give you some all of this stuff while also keeping a lot of the mystery there. Hmm. Like, yeah. what the thing was. And, yeah, they did it great. And this is, yeah, as I say, I repeat, this is the best prequel, the best, and probably probably the best reboot in movies that there's been. Interesting. Fast hot takes. That's, uh, that's a bit hyperbolic. <laughs> <laughs> See, how do you feel about it as a, as a prequel, Strictly? You know how film companies occasionally reuse a license just so they can hold on to a license? Mm-hmm. And they'll, like, you know, Fan Four Stick, I think, was one, right? This feels like the opposite end of that spectrum. This is a film that is made with, with trying to be, not necessarily always reaching it, like Icarus going for the song, trying to appreciate what came before and be additive to it not yeah. like you know there's nothing that could be an out and out retcon to it maybe the thing's behavior but you could argue it's just dumb around humans at this point right you know and that's brilliant i think to, to take the source material and not uh for want of a better term not bastardize it for the sake of making a book you know this this has clearly been made with some level of care and consideration to the continuity and lore of the franchise i don't know if i'd say it's the best prequel ever but it's certainly by no means the worst. Name one. Name one better what? one. <laughs> I like Rogue One. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's, you know what? No, that's, that's fair. Good, that's yeah, that's, yeah, Rogue, Rogue One's really good movie. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, right, I'm going to deliver a quote and flip this on its head then. So uh, one of the producers, I believe it was, um, let me just double check this to be certain, Eric Newman, one of the two producers for the film, uh, said that 
Universal decided to create a prequel instead of a remake as they felt that remaking John Carpenter's film would be like painting a moustache on the Mona Lisa, which is a great, great metaphor. Eric Newman explained, I'd be the first to say no one should ever try to do Jaws again and I certainly wouldn't want to see anyone remake The Exorcist. And we felt the same way about The Thing. It's a great film, but we realised there was a new story to tell with the same characters in the same world, but from a very different point of view. We took it as a challenge. That's all very well and good then, isn't it? But why did you try to make a prequel and a remake at the same time? Because it it absolutely presents the cake and then tries to eat it. That's my confusion. <laughs> this, <laughs> this isn't a remake. This is a prequel. So why does it try so hard to do both? Because all the story beats of this are pretty much the same. We have, let's test everyone's blood. It gets sabotaged. Folks who come back get trapped in a room and then they tunnel their way out. We have a thing where the stomach opens up. We have a scene where everyone stands around the fire and understands the gravity of the situation, as we talked about before. It really, it could have been so much more. The promise of what it does as a prequel is so good that it's really kind of disappointing that it follows all the story beats for the original for me. And maybe that's just me. And maybe I could get like kicked off of this fence on this one because people would say that about the new Ghostbusters film, but I would argue it's sure. for it has a plot reason for it to follow all the same beats. This, I have I have a defense. I don't I also have a defense. That's fine. That's fine. I just it you don't I'm not saying that I'm correct in this, but it seems to me like they really did try to do both. And it just personally for me it, it it's a shame. It's a shame it could have been more if they'd really stuck to the prequel thing. James, I'm going to go to you first then with your defense, uh, by all means. Okay, two two things, just quickly. Like, we, as members of the Resident Evil zeitgeist, <laughs> right, we know that whatever was done would have been a disappointment, right? So I think they tried to do a little bit of both. Right. To try to... Give the new, but also give that nostalgic same beat feel. Because I get what you're saying. And it is also a problem. It's one of my immediate immediate feels when watching this movie. Specifically through my second casual walkthrough. Oh, this is just... It is the same piece. It is the same like journey you're going through. Just changed. And I... But I was also thinking, like, I get why you're doing this. Because you're trying to appeal to that nostalgic. Yeah, of course. also, Also, like... In a story sense, humans are animals of habit. Mm. Like, we do go through these things very similarly. You put people in the same situation, they're going to do similar things. Like, but also change it a little bit. There are always, there's always going to be changes. There's always going to be variations. Um, yeah, so that that's, that's my kind of defense. Like, I still don't... It's hard, isn't it? And I think during that time, I think it's kind of... Well, dare I say the word pioneering? They were trying to do something... Mm a bit new like mm-hmm. with re- we had reboots previously before that and they were all a bit pants and we had reboots after that and they were a bit pants mm. you know because some of them changed the story completely and everybody hated them some of them kept the story precisely as it was and right? people hated and that too people hated that too you yeah. know so it's like it's like oh man you could really kind of win with fandoms um but there's definitely something that can be done you know i mean looking at like mm. castlevania you know, and The Witcher, stuff like that. That's done very, very well. Sorry. Go ahead, Berger. Um, so uh, I echo, want to echo James a lot on there. Um, I think that 
when you have a group of trained professionals, um, they're gonna they're gonna have the same SOP. Like, mm-hmm. um, so to me that made sense. To me, it, it worked. That's completely fine. Like, I it, absolutely valid entitled to that. Like, I can totally see what you guys are saying um, to a certain extent. Like, sure, it would make sense that they would come arguably they could come to the same conclusion of let's do a blood test and then of course yeah. no matter what the, thi- the whoever is the thing is probably going to try and sabotage that like logically yes uh, yeah. for a film <laughs> it is a little bit like this is the same thing and the tunneling out was one where it's like yeah. well that's that's just but i i do get what you're saying from outside of the film like appealing to that sort of nostalgia a little bit steve i thought i heard you humming in uh, agreement with yeah my it's point, just like so. it's you think about, I mean, obviously, you're taking the human the human nature argument. Everyone's always stupid. They'll do the same stupid thing. You know, uh, every zombie movie will always have some idiot who hides a bite right. and stuff like that. <laughs> I feel like it's the same concept here, and maybe people are leaning a little bit too hard on it, if you know what I mean. Mm. Like, we've seen several different Resident Evil remakes, for example, and some lean heavily into the original source material, some not so much. And uh, both have like had people give them shifty eyes at times, like, looking at two, two make and three make, respectively. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, you know, th- it's trying to do the story beats of the original, but I don't know, it feels like every time they get to a point where they should do a thing, it sort of gets scuppered and thrown a bit off course. Mm. Oh. Like, the blood test never happens. It's about to, but then, you know, they don't even finish doing all the fillings, do they, before it all goes um, a bit awry with uh, Edward oh. going a full dismantle monster. Or am I going, am I misremembering? No, you're, you're, you're right. Um... Because yeah. she sends them out to go to go check the fillings of the Americans. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, and I thought that was cool. Like that was a nice different way to do it because they they both had the same idea to test everybody's blood against a bat like a previous sample. I mean, it's, um, I'm not I'm not going to say subverting expectations because that feels a bit too lofty and too meme. But I do feel like stuff that should happen slightly you expect it to go one way and then it shunts and that uses the expectation of the original film as a result to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I thought the fact that like when you're you're trying to think through problem solving, like all right, so f- we can't do that. What's another way we can tell? And she, oh, I found the fillings. Mm. Um, so it's you know not a foolproof method, but enough to further the plot. So I'm gonna swing back around to the positive on that one, and and this sort of reinforces why I felt like it was kind of a shame uh, that we were sort of treading old ground, if you like. Is that the new stuff this film does? is really cool. Like, mm. I was a big fan of, oh, this can't absorb inorganic material. We found a bracket from somebody's leg as it was trying to digest them, just sort of like sitting inside the body. Um, and then finding the fillings on the floor. Like, which is really cool because, A, it's different. And B, it makes sense. And C, even better, is this is actually less conclusive than the blood thing, which is cool because it's very thinking on your feet and as the audience you're like well i'm not so sure but what about this well you can't because they actually bring it up you know what about if you've got sort of like porcelain fillings and stuff like that and i really like that because it adds even more to the suspicion yeah. you can't just outright 100 percent foolproof test people but it was a it's a really cool original element and i i really like the new thing things that this film does and that's perhaps why i felt a little bit kind of meh about the nostalgia beats, uh, just maybe to tie that point up. Mm-hmm. 
Steve, how do you feel about the feel it feelings thing in general? Since you kind of the one that brought it up, how how does that? I think it's compare? clever. Yeah, honestly, I think it's clever. I especially love it when they I can't remember the dude. The first guy gets eaten, and they're like going into the corpse. Or Henrik, the corpse, I think. Corpse. Yeah. yeah, and uh, they're like, well, what's this splint doing outside of his leg? Mm. And then they're, they're, then they're oh god, it's duplicating him. When that penny finally drops, it's just amazing. When they when she puts it, uh, Kate puts it all together, like yeah. you know. Uh, smartest person in the room, and no one listens to him. Oh, what a surprise! Mm. Um, you know, but the, the fact that it's, it gives the it gives the thing sort of something identifiable as not necessarily a weakness but a flaw that could carry over into other media without underwriting it. It just means that the people in the America base either had really bad dental care or really good <laughs> dental care. You know. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Bergs, how do you feel about the fillings and some of the new additions to the story? Um, I can kind of touch a little bit on that. I do, I do like it. Um, I like that the uh, the method. Like I said, I like that the, the method that they encountered was different. Um, I really appreciated a lot of the. Like I said, I like the Norwegian cast a lot and how they interacted with one another. How they um, like they felt organic. Mm. Um, one of the comments I had about the movie as a whole was that it didn't feel very didn't feel eighties to me. Um, and didn't feel organic like that first one did. But the the Norwegian cast working together um, did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I liked them a lot. The, with the exception of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the rest of the American cast I didn't much care for. All right. <clears throat> yeah. So that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, since we're kind of like bumping into that, I, I I agree. You know, I think um, Kate's the character of Kate is arguably no. I don't, yeah, I think she is more dimensional like got more dimensions to her than McCready, but only just <laughs> they're both fine protagonists they serve the plot in their way uh she gets to be kind of a combination of the McCready character and the Blair character who figures out what's going on yeah. for everyone else which is which was cool very clever way to do that um same issues with this cast as the original they are mostly just a bunch of bodies to kill for me there are some of them that get more development than other shout out to Tormund from Game of Thrones um, <laughs> that's who it was I forgot his name <laughs> uh, but uh, we get even less time to dig into their paranoia and suspicion in this one I think um, Carter is incredibly boring uh, he's he's no, he's no child as the other sort of character that makes it right up until the end but uh, yeah it's, it's fine nobody outright offensively terrible I suppose other than boring American face um, <laughs> James any more thoughts on the plot and the cast in fact so when the filling thing happened, I was like, I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, that's so f-ing clever. Yeah. That's so smart. Because I completely forgot that was the, like, that was the, uh, that was the, like, I can't think of the word right now, but that was like the hook of the movie. That mm. was the thing that was, that we're going to be constantly, because it's not just for her and for them. It's also for us. Because we're like, do you have like, I mean, it improves and like gets even better later on. Yeah. Like, but like. You know, you're looking for things too. It gives it's an interactive experience. You're also looking to see what people have. Mm. You know, um, but yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I was so I was I was I was I was so proud. Like of whoever thought of that. Like mm. whoever you are, great well idea. Done. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the casting, I'm gonna call her Mew because that's her abbreviation and it sounds adorable. Um, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, Mew is amazing, and I think this film, and also a film that came out a couple years ago, a year ago, called Kate, by the same name, which is funny, <laughs> no relation, but those two films showcase 
uh, this is completely unrelated to the film. Those two, these two films showcase how Mew should be the next Amanda Ripley in a in a movie. Mm. Yes, it's, like, I get got that vibe from this definitely. Yes, yeah. yeah. That she, and also like they they definitely like they kind of pulled from the. I I freaking hated it, but at the same time, it's real world, and this is what happens. This is what happened, but you know, woman says thing, you know. Then man repeats what woman says. Mm. And everybody <laughs> listens to the man. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it's like, oh, come on. But also, it's a, it's, it was a te- it was a, a sign of the times, because that's what happened. Yeah. You know, and then, like, Mr. Peepee Head, as I called him, you know, um, I <laughs> thought of other names. But, yeah, he, like, him coming out when she says, she says that line about sterilization. What does Ripley say? She talks about quarantine. She won't let anybody in because of quarantine. You know, but she is overwritten by Ash, mm-hmm. right? And she, he, she is again. Well, Kate in this Mew is overridden because yep. it's a man, yeah. right? And I was like, oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was like another. There was like another big point. Um, oh god, there's so many good casting in this. Like we 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 all love Lars, of course. Yeah, Lars oh, yeah. boy. Um, but he's the Barry to Kate's Jill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But there, there was one big point in this movie, and it's something that um, I'm starting to learn about recently, and I realized that it's actually a really big problem in movies, and that's the Bechtel test. Um, mm. And in this movie, it's really bad. Like, I thought it was going to succeed on it, but then it just failed. Like, you know, because we had this moment of these two women talking to each other. For those that don't know, the Bechtel test is when you've got two, at least two women in a movie, and they talk to each other, but it's not going to be because one of them is going to die or one of them is going to progress the story and then the other one disappears. That's precisely what we get in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like one woman is taken out. I would have loved to have seen that woman maybe a little bit longer. I can't remember her name. Sorry. Julia. But, Julia. Yeah. Julia. Thank you. Right. But she, I would have loved to have seen her maybe go halfway through the movie. Right. And yeah. you know, for them to have like some kind of rapport because it's so tiring right to see like, yes, we love seeing, we love standing like a strong woman like solo role but i also love to see women act in together yeah you know on the screen mm-hmm. you know it's like yeah anyway that's that's my little rant over um yeah um casting uh i think you know bugs already said it and we we were speaking about it yesterday but yeah the norwegians really carried this movie mm-hmm. yep. like they were so good um mm-hmm. you know i really and i really they were like salt of the earth you know mm-hmm. Like, like say that except for Edvard, they always seem distant and superior to his men. Well, yeah. True, true, yeah. good point. But he was meant to be. I feel like, like I was definitely. I think I was acting well because he was meant to be like that. He even he even likes tries to take power from Kate at some point. Mm. Um, but yeah, I you know there was one bit in the movie that really I think on my note is here. Oh, we can't kill the the only two American men. <laughs> you know, because they like there was just yeah. two, they just came out of the. I would have loved to seen like the other Norwegian bloke who was unwell come back and you know. not actually have been sick. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like it would have because I mean he survived that crash and he was unwell, but it would have been a great little redemption for him. Yeah, like at least something. And also they could have used it as the like the weird tie-in they had at the end with the helicopter dude who came in for no reason. Like, it's... well, Olaf's picked up another helicopter from somewhere out in the waste. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like he, he, <laughs> you know, it, it would have been like that would have been the perfect way to kind of end that. But the, you know, they needed their two Americans. But those two, they felt like fill-ins. They didn't. They, they really didn't too. feel like they fit. They fit the movie. Jerry Russell and Rich Davis. David. That's the, 
<laughs> that's their names. That's oh, right. Name. <laughs> I, I looked it up. I looked it up. That's the actors' names. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Um, you know, the thing is, I like both of those actors mm -hmm. in other movies. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but in this one, they just didn't work. You know, Kate was this smart, determined, independent person who, like, she just, she knew what she was freaking talking about. Mm -hmm. Right? And everybody else did. Oh, Adam as well. I actually, one of my notes is, F*** you, Adam. Yeah, <laughs> F*** Adam. But I'm sorry, Sai. You're going to have to bleep me. My right? notes but on when... this podcast are a mess, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> when, when they're in that room, when they're in that room, right, and Kate turns to him and says, you seen it too, didn't you? And he was like, uh, oh, I saw... Yeah. He's a toady. He's a flunky for whatever his name was. You evil know, it's like, man. oh, evil, evil, mm. evil boss man. Mm. But... Adam, oh, and I'll stop after this. Adam also had the best line in the movie, which was, what are you, an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the way he delivered it was so funny, and it made me, like, uh, it was just great. Anyway, that's me. Uh, Steve, any thoughts on the cast of characters in this version? Honestly, excluding Kate and Lars, everyone else is kind of, for me, a bit meh. Like, I haven't even seen Game of Thrones in our recent rewatch. I was like, oh, it's that dude from the meme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's looking for the big women. Um, <laughs> yeah, the rest of it was just like, oh, okay. I, I liked Peter. The second I started liking Peter, he gets shot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, yeah, oh, Edvard's gone gone all discombobulated and the evil science man's been cored. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, the the so-called love interest bit with Kate and Carter I thought was kind of hokey and rubbish and I'm glad it ended yeah. the way it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, excluding our leading lady and her stand-in for Barry. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, I'm going to hesitantly unpin something. I hope we don't get under Ooh. control, out of control here, which is what you were talking about with uh, your headcanon for the thing. Because I know we were touching about the 2011 version. So yeah. um, I, what I do want to say quickly is that the ending of this film, or at least the sort of third act, uh, takes place on the thing's ship, um, which spurs back into life as the creature sort of gets back in it. Um, and I thought... For the record, I actually kind of like that because it was doing something different. Like I really like that part mm. and the sort of final moments as well because um, it did something different. But that aside, um, there, that is actually not the original ending for this film. That was the the reshot ending. The oh. yeah, apparently the pilot ending as it is uh, known, which it got a bit of a Twitter campaign around the Zack Snyder cut uh, era of Twitter. So apparently it does exist and it is out there, I guess, or at least it's assumed so. But like the truth. Uh, right, but the truth is that the, the apparently, or at least in the original version, that this alien ship isn't actually the thing's ship. It's a prison ship, um, and another species is carting this creature to wherever it's going to go, wherever it's going to be incarcerated or whatever. Uh, but it breaks free of the ship, and so therefore it's speculated that the reason the ship crashes to begin with is to try and kill this creature before it can uh, take over the ship and then take it wherever it's going to take it and infect an entire species, which it unfortunately attempts to do here on Earth. Which I thought was a really interesting idea to, to take this, oh, we found an alien ship and a creature that crawled out of it um, and turn it into another layer. Almost like, and apparently the idea was, that you could basically add like a really sci-fi prequel to this, or at least the idea 
in the like right. in the eighty two version that events have already happened in the Norwegian camp. Uh, in this version, we get our own Norwegian camp that is the spaceship that it broke free from, which is a really oh. which is really interesting and really cool. I thought it was at least worth mentioning. But uh, yeah, I'm going to open it back up a little bit to your guys' head cannons that you were going on about about uh, what the alien what the alien was up to. So by all means, I'm um, down for that. I'm down for a, a, an alien escapee criminal, basically, mm. or a bioweapon from another world yeah. that's been accidentally unleashed. Uh, so, definitely more compelling than just an angry spaceship filled with angry monsters. Mm. So, um, my, uh, I thought about that a lot, actually. Um, my other thought is, like, what if this this was just a place where mm. it, it would be stuck on a backwater of the ass end of the galaxy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the ship was not functional, then it had no way of like, getting off of this place. And so this would ultimately be set to be its prison because we don't have interstellar travel. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, but to talk about my, you know, the headcanon of the thing, it it's lashing out in the 2011 movie. It's reactive. It has no idea what we're doing. Like it also kind of has a hard time controlling itself in a human body. Like you see that a lot, where it senses a moment where it can like strike but doesn't quite understand that it, it's like, oh, this person can run away um, mm. or react to what I'm going to do, um, which is something that it does. It gets better at in the sequel. And you get the sense that it's like the next day. So like, all right, it knows like, all right, so I can't do this while anybody's around. I have to take care of these dogs while there's nobody nearby. True. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it starts taking control of the dogs. It gets caught out. Oh, f- what's going on? It runs away. Um, you know, it, it, all it ever does is, is, it, is it reacts to a situation and then tries to escape. Ever. So I think I think my headcanon is that the thing is just trying to go home. Like That's James fair. said earlier. That makes sense. Yeah. Escape containment. Yeah. Right. James, any rebuttals to this headcanon? I'm, t- I'm so interested in this, like, prison ship idea. <laughs> yeah. So, I gave I, you lore. I should have known. <laughs> yeah, you, you knew what you did. <laughs> I um, mean, debatably canon, because it didn't, you know, it's it's not in the actual final film. But, right, but yeah. I, would, I would like to think of it that way. Yeah, it would be, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I did, I did kind of uh, praise the prequel because it, it did give you some... Uh, some explanations and it gave you a little bit like a little bit more which is nice because you know they were the first ones to discover it so it should have been mm. like should have given us stuff but uh yeah maybe the prison ship thing it would have like it would have been too much yeah you know, maybe might, so yeah, it would have been a little bit too much it might have been something they could have built into a prequel maybe like you can like a, a further prequel mm-hmm. um but still keep you know like make it completely wild make it like a you know like you know a completely wild uh, idea um that is hard to follow like mm-hmm. and it's still vague like cuz it's alien anyway um <laughs> i'm going off but yeah i i yeah i i i do believe that this thing was just trying to survive and yeah it's a great point burger just made about like it um cuz it was something i was going to say earlier on but i forgot about um like it's so wild like when it comes out of the ship that it just attacks whoever because it's just trying to survive and then it gets to the is it mcmurdo is that the basin no it's not mcmurdo is it 
this like, base. Where's the one they talk about going to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the the American base. I'll just go to the American base. Yeah. And so when it gets to the American base, um, yeah, it's a lot cleverer. It's a lot more canny. Um, mm. but yeah, I yeah, I think I think it was just trying to get, you know because Steve said something yesterday. I was like, you know, we brought it up, which is why I brought this up because I was thinking it. Um, you know, it well, it wants to get in the ship because it wants to you know infect the planet. You know. But I was like, but what if it wants to get in the ship and just wants to go? go? Yeah, yeah. You mm. know, but we're like interrupting it. It's like, God, God damn it! He might just <laughs> want to leave. You know? Leave. Yeah, I mean, the the not knowing is kind of the beauty of it. I think. I mean, there's yeah. a, lot, a lot of that in the thing in general. So we could. I mean, obviously that's the beauty of it. We can speculate, but maybe it's better that we don't know really. <laughs> yeah, um, alien covenant problem. Knowing too much can ruin the. Uh, yeah. yeah, sure. Broth. Mystery. You know, was yeah. it too much knowledge spoils the broth? I don't know. <laughs> we're, co- we're covenant. It's knowing too much and not being able to correctly storyboard it. Like so, yeah. like it, it. Too much was coming out. Anyway, this isn't this isn't an alien <laughs> no, <okay>, podcast. Stop. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's talk about the visual effects for the 2011 version. Then, um, for me, I know. So I've heard some takes, some sort of touches on some takes here about this. Um, I think this film is uh, a mixed bag. I don't think it's terrible. I think it looks okay for a film that's 11 years old uh, in terms of the monster CGI. There are moments, unfortunately quite a few of them, where it really falls flat. And that's pretty much when anything is on fire, um, which is a shame because that's a big part of the thing, isn't it? And, you know, CGI fire has been difficult. We know that, especially as video game fans. It's making fire look realistic is really difficult, which unfortunately turns the creature into sort of like a, silly unrealistic playstation 3 model sometimes um but other than that it's it's not too bad and sometimes sometimes it's shot well uh you know it's funny steve that you said jurassic park but obviously there's a bit uh, i imagine you guys maybe picked up on this too there's a moment i think it's carter is hiding from it and it's come through this door and he's like leaned up against the shelving unit and it really really made me think of the uh the jurassic park raptor scene in the kitchen uh that was uh, <laughs> was a homage or rip off or whatever you look at it was shot well at least and which is yeah. nice because uh sometimes maybe not so much but i'll leave it there for now um steve how do you feel about the cgi on this one? Oh god this is like pulling a pin out of a hand grenade Go on. um terrible <laughs> uh, it, it undermines so much of the film mm, yeah like you know, um, there was a bit last night when Griggs first transforms and James and Berger are singing his praises like, I was too busy fixating on the face. And then yeah. we went back and rewatched it like, yeah, that does look good when you don't look at the face. And so many, there's so many bits that just look like really, really mid-2000s trying to be cool, but just not. And it makes it seem more smooth and athletic than it was in the original. And the original yeah. is very waxy and uh, diseased-feeling creature, yeah. whereas this yeah. one seems much more... Like a necromorph, I suppose. Mm. You know, it, it seems too muscular and capable, and uh, its movements therefore just shunt straight into the uncanny valley, despite the fact it looks nothing like a human half the time. Uh, and yeah, yeah no, it, it, it hurts it. Like, there's some, maybe a few bits that I think are kind of cool, even if they do look a bit like they're from a PS2 game, like when Edvard is absorbing Adam, I think is phenomenally grotesque, even mm. if it is mostly CG. 
but yeah, it undermined so much. And God help me, that final like chase inside the ship. The fact that you put that man's face on and it just looks oh. awful. <laughs> yeah. It just looks <laughs> atrocious. But they realized it, right? And they're like, "Guy, get rid of the face. Yeah. Cut it, it, it cut it. It, it, it." Yeah, it's it's better when it's on it, you know, it's slower moving and it's fully grotesque state. Mm. But whenever it's got human parts on it, the human parts pull me straight out. Mm. So, oh, yeah, that's I, fair. I, yeah, mm. I, I don't mind the odd bit of NAF CG, but in this case, it really doesn't help it at all. Yeah, I agree about the faces, certainly, for me, even though I wasn't quite uh, abjectly horrified by it in the wrong way like you were, but the human face stuff was was not good, certainly. Um, James, how do you feel about the CGI in this one? Um, Yeah, so it started off really strong. Um, Like, we got some pretty good practical effects, and they used some CGI with the practical effects, and I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that sort of, like... I like it when they use CGI sparingly, and it's it's during that time when CGI really wasn't up to par. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made like a note that basically, if if the <laughs> if the room or the setting is at fifty percent brightness, and you were like at least eight to ten feet away from whatever is CGI, then it looks great, right? right? But if you are any closer than that, and the brightness is you know you know and it's fairly bright, which is why the the face. Um, yeah. Griggs like lit, lit up so much, then you start to see the cracks and the, well, not cracks, fishes more yeah. like mm-hmm. like they you start you start to see the you know the the problems. Where the lines are. Yeah, like I I really loved like when it like Griggs's chest just like bursts open like that CGI was great because mm-hmm. it's so fast moving that you like you can't your brain can't really and you know there was a lot of detail that your brain can't really figure out. Obviously yeah. CGI. Right, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really, you know, differentiate if it was CGI or not. Right. Um, but then there was like another scene, uh, which kind of showcases what I was just talking about when uh, American pilot guy, uh, Budget McCready, was in the kitchen or pantry with a knife. Yeah. Um, and when it just stood there in the room this is another like showcase of what i was just talking about it being 50 cent brightness and being far away from it it looked great yeah in, mm-hmm. in that in that scene but then it got closer there was like a close-up of its face i went nope nope <laughs> it, looks <laughs> yeah. bad. it looks bad again you know um but there's a lot of practical effects in this and we'll talk about it later on but yeah i this is a bit hit or miss and like films mm-hmm. of that time they're always gonna be hit or miss with cgi mm-hmm. like they're always trying something different um and we Virgin get- on the scorpion king the rock <laughs> yeah. little boy we're, we're we're getting there right but even like you know you know later titles like alien covenant for, for instance they tried to use cgi and it, you know it only worked in some scenes mm-hmm. like because because of the darkness and because of the the expansive like cinematic view that they were using but as soon as you got close yeah mm, it looks it looks a bit crap. Harsh lights are really easy in video games. So like at a distance when that stuff is important. Yeah. And it's part of the reason why alien, alien isolation, um, which is topic for another day, mm-hmm. is so good. Um, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Bugs, how do you feel about the CG in this? Um I think I'm for I'm like kind of in your camp. I thought it was fine. It was perfectly fine, serviceable, two thousand eleven CG. It was bad where we know it's going to be bad yeah. it was pretty decent where you know it's going to be decent um i am bummed out because i heard that there there was a lot of practical effects made for it mm-hmm. um 
and it was overdone at the insistence of the producers. Uh, it was done over with like CGI. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. bummed me. I'd like to see what it would have looked like. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I did some looking into this, um, and James, you were saying about the scene with Griggs on the helicopter. Uh, that's an example of something that was practical. Uh, they had like a full body suit of this like splitting open body and flopping head. Uh, but yeah, they just painted over it in CG. <clears throat> same oh, thing man. with the... Uh, why? Yeah. Yeah, why? That was the reaction I was expecting. It's the same thing with the Adam and Edvard sort of merging creature. They built like a rig with this uh, puppet on it. Um, and then just paint it over it, which is really weird. And even worse than that is almost certainly why this film did not turn a budget. Do because I, the I, CG would have been so expensive on top of the fact they made all the practical effects that they basically didn't use. Uh, it's strange. Do I, do I like dare say that there's probably a lot of yes men in this? Like, in the, yeah. like the, because I don't see why you would just dump that. Like that. Yeah, uh, I, um, I think this was... I think it was the director himself that said something like, it's just kind of like a microchasm of the industry at the time where they would hire smaller known directors and stuff like that to make films like this because uh, they're easier to boss around, I guess. Uh, and the studio can make those decisions without any kind of pushback and not really have to take their sort of opinions into consideration, I guess, is what he means by that. Um, they hired some really great um practical effects guys and then didn't really bother to use their work i think the practical effects guys have said since that they may as well have just drawn the designs and then stayed home rather than go and actually do the work they yeah. did because it because it wasn't used which is a real shame because obviously the practical effects are a huge part of the original film so alec gillis was on this wasn't he yeah like yes he was used, yes he was used for this yes he's one of the the practical guys i think right and he was like, he was for the original too. It's like, no, nah, respect the name, right? <laughs> like, exactly. Put, put, put the practical in, like, don't. Like, it's kind of an insult to me. That feels like an insult. Yeah, it's it's awful. Um, I agree with what you guys are saying about sort of like the way they were framing it. Um, it's a big problem with this film. When we talked about what made the the creature so good in the original film, it's just the 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 way that you saw it and the the not consistent sort of shape that it seemed to have and all this stuff and there is way too many full shots of full-bodied monsters in this that takes it from that spark of the thing the unknown never-changing monster and not just in general but like each individual thing that you saw in the original one could be like completely wildly out of control and feel like it could change at any point uh, in this, everything just looks like the Demogorgon, you know, which I admittedly, this is before Stranger Things. I'm not saying they ripped it off, but I'm just saying it's just like, it's a boogie boogie monster. Like, I didn't get that same. Seems a disservice of, to the Demogorgon. I, yeah, I don't, you know, I I just mean it's it was the wrong direction to take. This is not yeah. the sort of like Cthulhu otherworldly horror that you needed um it, it just becomes a bit of a monster a cg monster movie unfortunately they, they could all pass for necromorphs yeah you know, absolutely they space. could yeah they could yeah you're not yeah. wrong um okay um i think are we good any more final points or are we good to sort of like conclude on this because this has been a long one yeah um i, I want to quickly go over something um because I mentioned it earlier on with the first one, and it's something that this film did better okay. than the original film. And it was its sound design. Like, okay. I feel that the monster and the monster sounds in this 
are like much more um, uncomfortable mm-hmm. than the original. Like, there's a note I've made. I'm trying, I'm trying to quickly find it. Ah! Um, right. Yes. So. I don't know if you guys felt the same thing. And it's always, you know, and maybe this is because of Alien as well, because Alien is very much like this. Um, and I know it's taken reference from that. Um, and you do see it in the original as well. Like, but it's how oddly voyeuristic these, the thing is. Mm-hmm. And the way it feeds on things or absorbs into things or turns it into it. Like, it always watches the victim, victims and those around it. It doesn't do anything immediately. It always waits. It's gross, and it made me super uncomfortable. It's not doing anything. <laughs> it's just sitting there, right? And the sounds that were coming out of the thing, and like the 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 way it was like it was vocalizing as well, really really made me squirm like even more than the original and you know, that's that's kind of a a testament to like you know, they, it, it did its job well and that's a testament to this movie it did great like in making me feel uncomfortable cool no that's fair it's not something that i noticed but something maybe for a rewatch um to conclude uh i'll just go first in that case quite simple um it's it's all right you know i think i Maybe I'll rewatch it. Maybe I won't. If I will, I'll look out for the sound effects. I think that it is a bit of a, a bit of a confused film, and it, it's a little bit superfluous, which is a shame because the prequel stuff is so good. But I kind of, it's like it, it follows the original so much with that beat for beat. Where it, if I kind of had both in my hands, I'm probably going to watch the original, um, which is the problem when you when you make a film like this. You're always going to make a less loved version of such a classic, right? Yeah. Um, which is a shame. What makes that worse is the fact that I did like those new bits, like the fillings and the. We didn't really talk about it, but the earring bit at the end, and yeah. you know, they're, they're cool. I I like the new stuff it did. I'm again, I'm glad I'm, I'm I watched it, uh, but I would recommend the original over it ten out of ten times. Unfortunately, yeah, it's good. 100%. It's solid. It's not bad by any means. But it's living in a big, big old monstrous shadow. Um, Berger, what are your final thoughts on the 2011 version of the thing? Um, not to not to double jump on that. Um, I thought it was fine. It was a perfectly serviceable film. Uh, I like you. I like the things they did new. I liked the the things that they. Uh, I mean, I think it's cool that they they plugged holes for continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to like obviously 10 out of 10 times like you said you'd recommend the original but i would also add the caveat like hey if you really like that one and you sure, want to find yeah. out what happens yeah hey the 2011 one's not that bad and mm-hmm. um that's kind of how i feel it's not that bad like it's not the worst tie-in prequel re- soft reboot i've seen uh it's not the best soft reboot adaptation i've seen mm-hmm. it's fine which is okay Apparently, it is the best prequel in someone's eyes. James, what's your final thoughts on uh, the thing 2011? You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I. So I can't tell you which one's better because I think, like Berger said, I think they're actually really good companion to mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like there are some things that are worse. There are way more worse things that I've done in uh, in the 2011 that than the 1982 but at the same time there are so many good things done in the 2011 that i think it kind of cancels it out because there are still problems 
with the 1982 one that I really don't like, that I dislike. Um, they're not perfect movies. You know, no movie is, um, including Alien. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just think they're good companions for each other. And like Berg said, it's a great point. Like, yeah, don't, like, if you watch the original, don't, like, don't cancel out yeah. in 2011. Yeah. Just come into it with, don't come into it with that toxic nostalgia. You know, just go into it with fresh eyes and treat it as it is, a prequel. And yeah. it, does, it does it well. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Steve, any more final thoughts for the 2011 version of the thing? To, to put it into a uh, an analog, uh, this this feels like if RE ninety six was directly up against Resident Evil Zero, uh, same kind of level of combination mm. among the fandoms, mostly uh, reviled for things that aren't always really its fault. Uh, mm. It tried to do a few new things, has a standout female lead who kind of get buried under all the mess mm. so yeah uh, it's resident evil zero the movie is what i'm trying <laughs> to say no, no honestly okay it's, it's a fine film if you, if you ever give me the choice much like my compatriots i'm gonna have a choice between you know 1982 the thing or the 2011 the thing i'm watching the 82 the thing but that mm. doesn't mean that the 2011 one deserves the flack it's got by any shape of the imagination i'd be probably the harshest on it this time so yeah, I, I it's strange how history has repeated itself, and the new thing film got completely butchered. So we're gonna have to be, you know, very aware when the next film comes out why people are critically bombing it, even if it turns out it's actually really fine. Yeah, you know, uh, because history repeats itself and just doesn't like thing films. Right, much like the events of both of these movies, history repeats yeah. itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's okay. It's not the best. It's certainly not the worst. You know, and at some point, somewhere, people have the heart in the right place. So if you like 82 The Thing and want more, which like everyone else has said, check it out. If you don't, then just watch more Kurt Russell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors and our Patreons once again. Support the show for as little as $1 a month to help us create more bonus content like this one over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. You can join the Discord server to get in touch with members of the team and our community, discuss Resident Evil with us and other fans, and listen to the podcast live as it's recorded. You can find a link to the server as well as our Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok at fasprayedpod.com. You can find the podcast on YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review where you can. It helps spread the word. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Sinyak underscore one, two, three. Steve at FB Steve was taken. James is at Moist Owler OFF. And Burger is at It's Burger Time. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. <laughs> Wait, why is why are you guys not getting picked up? What the devil? Nobody what ever picks devil? me up. <laughs> it's a damn shame. Nobody ever picks me up. I'm, I'm six, too tall. I'm six foot one. Nobody ever picks me up. <laughs> Same. Pick me up. I I would I would pick, pick me up, up inside. <laughs> oh, pick me you. up. Pick him up. <laughs> That's the chorus. That's it, yeah. <laughs>